Welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ifdecker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by guests Ollie Brady and Jillian Nesterling to talk about Netflix, Netflix's new Arthurian show, Cursed. Welcome, Ollie and Jillian. Hello! I realized I'm waving. Yeah, the, the wave, this, is, this is not a visual medium. You've forgotten how to podcast. So, Jillian, would you like to go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you wanted to join us to talk about this show? Sure. Um, so, hello, I'm Jillian. Um, I am coming to you from the great white north. Um, not white right now because it's the dead of summer in Toronto and it's very hot. Um, but, uh, I was excited to talk about this show because I, I enjoy our theory and pop culture. Um, my husband and I, our very first date back in the year of 2004 was the King Arthur movie with Keira Knightley. Oh. So it has warmed its way into my heart. Keira Knightley is a, a very pretty woman. And I, I think that was part of my husband's reason for wanting to go to the movie, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, so, so we watched that and, um, my husband also worked at a Renaissance fair and um, my engagement ring is from said Renaissance fair. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we love this sort of era in, um, history. Well, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to live there, but it's interesting to, to look at. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just fun. And so when Sarah had mentioned that you guys were doing the cursed first season maybe only season depending on how netflix goes with it i guess right. but and also if uh, anyone's ever able to film anything again yes yeah there's there's <laughs> a lot of things in limbo right now but um it just sounded like a, a grand old time so i volunteered yeah ollie do you want to remind the listeners who you are for those who or tell the tell a new for those who might be listening to this as their very first episode yeah so i'm friends with sarah um for some reason uh, we used to do, uh, I used to be the co-host of the podcast, but then life got really busy for me and I just didn't have time. But every now and then I'll come back as like special guest episodes. I, I like to call them the most popular episodes. I have no metrics to back that up. Um, in fact, I probably <laughs> listen to by less people, but I'm still going to pretend like, like, oh, 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 you're getting the Ollie bump. That's what you're doing. Like you're, you're searching for those, those Ollie centric listeners. Um, I wanted to do this because, uh, as I said, myself and Sarah are friends, so we still watch stuff together um, through the medium of the internet at the same time and then text each other where I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm seeing Arthur's butt again. Um, <laughs> and Sarah's just like, yeah. Yeah, Arthur, <laughs> Which but... is what we do. But when it came to doing an episode, I was like, I don't know if the predominant guest voice on the episode on Cursed should be my... This, het white guy voice so i'm delighted Jillian volunteered to come and talk on it as well because um i think this is as a series i think this is 
way more garnered towards women watchers than male watchers, which is fucking brilliant because usually everything is aimed at people like me. So it's brilliant to see something which is clearly a little bit, I was going to say to the left, but a little bit more feminine leaning, which is great. I was surprised that the show really did that just because Frank Miller is associated with it. And yeah, that is not the expectation that I would have had. Exactly. I, I, I have not really thought that he had particularly had warm, squishy feelings about ladies. Um, oh, but no. I, I was, I was interested to see how they adapted it and, and how, like, whether or not his voice, as I know it, came through. Right. Cause he does, uh, he did 300, right? Yeah. Sin City, 300, uh, the Dark Knight Rises, and, or the, so whatever the, the Christopher right. Nolan Batmans was based on and year one. Yeah, none of those are amazing on gender. So <laughs> there's there's literally one woman in three hundred, and uh, and she's a she's attempted raped twice. Yeah, it's not a great look. Yeah, and it's been a really long time since I've seen three hundred. I think she like essentially, it's it, like I would consider it rape, but she basically had sex with somebody like to get him to I don't know not do something awful or do something yeah. decent or something like that. I don't know. Pretty much. It's yeah, any of the stories that I've, I'm familiar with of his, the women don't really have agency. So oh, no. it was interesting to see the show that was, um, you know, headlined by a female character with his yeah. name on it. Can, can I just do a really quick aside? Yeah. We're recording this the day after you can, I'll leave this in the, the actual podcast. We're recording this the day after the fandom event for DC and the trailer for the new Batman, the one with uh, Twilight Robert. Oh, Pattinson, Robert Pattinson! Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, um, I haven't seen so it. By the time by the time this comes out, everyone's going to have seen the trailer because it, it's going to be. I guarantee you, it's going to be huge. Right. Mm-hmm. The new Batman movie is The Crow. The movie The Crow, starring uh, Brandon Lee. The entire trailer, I didn't even realize it was the Batman trailer. Mm-hmm. I was sitting watching it. There's all these shots of him with the long hair, oh, doing yeah. moody stuff. And you're like, There's a lot of rain and eyeliner. Rain so, and eyeliner, yeah. wet hair, him beating people up and saying, I am vengeance. Mm-hmm. Like, and then at the end, it pops up with the crow font. It's not even a subtle <laughs> version of the crow font. It's the crow font. And I'm thinking, I'm here for this. I'm yeah. I'm all on board. Give me Batman as the crow. I, I would watch. Well, I mean, how many Batmans deep are we at this point? Like, you know, right. I, I, I have no particular attachment anymore. I, I have to admit, this this will uh, definitely mark where I am in terms of um, DC fandom. But possibly my favorite Batman is the Batman Brave and Bold series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Back, which is animated. With all of the, yeah. I, I love I love that. That's my, my favorite Batman, <laughs> where Batman eats nachos and um, <laughs> does a whole bunch of weird Batman-esque things and has a feud with the dolphins. So <laughs> that's kind of my favorite Batman. But I'm here for this, like, emo crow Batman. I mean, yeah. like, anybody who I gets mean, mad about it, there are 15,000 other Batman movies. Pick one oh, of those. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> I mean, I think my favorite Batman is actually Will Arnett's, like, comedically emo Lego Batman, so... Oh, he's pretty great. Yeah. (laughs) So, I'm on board, uh, because, yeah, because also Robert Pattinson, uh, the, like, time that I saw him that was not him in uh, Twilight was Robert Pattinson playing Salvador Dali. Mm. (laughs) Oh, I know that movie. 
Yeah, I can never remember what it's called, but it's about the relationship between Salvador Dali, who became a fascist and is kind of trash, and uh, Federico Lorca, who was his best friend and then got murdered by the fascists. And Lorca was definitely gay. Dali, it seems likely that there was some kind of relationship or at least sexual tension between him and Lorca, but that he was like not uh, able to accept that part. Dali was not able to accept that as a part of himself. Oh, the movie is called Little Ashes, just in yes. case anybody is interested in tracking it down. Thank you. <laughs> the The only time I think I've seen him since uh, Twilight is he's in a movie which has a big twist at the end. I don't want to do it. It's called Remember Me. But if you watch oh. that movie and know what, the, if you can predict the twist ending to that movie, I will give you 20 grand. Like just out of pocket right now, I'll just reach it. Not that I have 20 grand in my pocket, but I go to a bank, <laughs> organize some drafts and give you 20 grand. Because if you've not seen that movie, the last 20 seconds, and it literally is just the last 20 seconds, are the most out there. Oh, it's recontextualized the entire movie. No, it hasn't. <laughs> it's just put it in a different place. I just um, feel like they ran out of like plot. And then yes. they were like, okay, <laughs> this is what we're doing. <laughs> well, I haven't seen it, so now I want to watch it and see if I can make Ollie give me $20,000. Sarah, there isn't, there isn't a way in hell any person of sane mind can watch that and actually guess the twist. Like, it does, we'll there's no nods, there's no hints. Yeah. Eat your heart nothing. out, M. Night Shyamalan. Right. The, the, it's a twist <laughs> that I call like cheating twists where it's like, okay, like, yes, this is a twist that nobody guessed because you provided no, in any way, uh, hints actually for it. So hmm. anyway, we better get back to talking about it. Yeah. People didn't yeah. sign up for the Robert Pattinson fangirl. Uh, yeah. Cast, so, so yeah. So Robert Pattinson is not in this. It stars Catherine Langford as Nimue. The only thing I've seen her in is she was, um, what is she? Um, she was, I can't remember the girl's name, but she was in Knives Out. She was the Meg. Meg. Oh, Meg. Yes. Uh, yes. She was Meg, the, uh, the student at some vaguely identified small liberal arts college where she had some like feminist eco-criticism major or something like that. It was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the derision in your voice, Sarah. <laughs> and I some will, like feminist I eco-terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> I will admit I'm familiar with her um, from watching 13 Reasons Why. Yes, I watched all uh, four okay. seasons and I yelled at my TV a lot. So, um, wait, did you just say there's four seasons? There's four seasons. Uh, she's only in the first two, really. Um, it, oh, I, I'm a completist and a glutton for punishment. So that's <laughs> I, in an effort to not drag us down another path of uh, random riffing. Um, uh, don't bother is all I will say. <laughs> I, I heard the, the author is like one of those mega douche ass oh he's yeah, that's why i Correct never man. watched it is because i i like by the time i was going to i would have watched it i already had heard that the author was trash and so therefore i was like okay i guess i'm not gonna watch it now mm-hmm. and that's totally a valid thing i i thought some of the young actors on the show were really good mm-hmm. but um ooh, oh god the fourth season just in particular <laughs> i just it's very 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 bad i i admit i'm a big teen like you know anything that could be on um the wb or cw i i will watch mm-hmm. anything ridiculous so that's part of the reason i was interested in doing this show um so who else do we have on the <laughs> yeah. cast roster here who else is, was in this show sarah 
uh, Devon Terrell or Devon Terrell, I don't actually know how to pronounce his name, as Arthur. Gustav Skarsgård, so one of the assorted Skarsgård brothers as Merlin, and Shalom Brun Franklin as Egrain slash Morgana. Can, um, can we just go back to uh, Skarsgård there for yeah. a second? Well, first of all, <laughs> let's just brush over the stunt casting of Arthur, um, which is what I saw written down about seven million times when the show was announced. Yeah, yeah. so actually I do want to just talk about that briefly, uh, the fact that, yeah, so Arthur is cast as a black actor, as is Morgana, and I've seen a lot of racist comments about that, which oh. are not acceptable. And also, like, A, this show has magic, who cares? And B, also, there were people of color in the Middle Ages, including, like, this is... Inter- if you're talking about the real period where Arthur was, like, it's like a Romano-British world or shortly thereafter, and therefore, like you know, there are, like, people who are from, like, Roman, like, North Africa, like, you know, so there were real people of color in the medieval world, and also there's magic, who cares? Yeah. Yeah, the only <laughs> thing I will say about the casting of Arthur is that he's a very nice-looking young man. Um, yes, he they, is. They, they do not do him any favors by giving him a Lionel Richie slash Eric LaSalle in Coming to America, sort of like Jerry Carl Mullet. Mm. Like, he... It, no, it detracts, his hair is not good. His hair is very bad, <laughs> and he's a nice-looking man. And I'm just like, absolutely, show me all those abs so I don't have to look at the hair. Because that, yeah, it was... I felt bad for the man. I felt like that was, like, willfully trying to... Like, ugly him down, maybe? I don't know. Right, or give him this, He's a very nice-looking young man. (laughs) I think they were trying to give him a haircut that looked medieval, like, which I say in quotation marks, in a way that is basically also assuming that medieval people are, like, white and have basically straight hair. Yeah, yeah. And so they were, like, trying to, like, they were like, okay, this seems like a, like, medieval haircut because, like, your natural hair wouldn't be, like, medieval enough. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It was very, it was very odd looking. Like, yeah. I, I mean, eventually, I think they sort of toned it down, and maybe he got a haircut mid production because I don't remember it being as pronounced. It's, a Jerry it's Curl super, later on. It's super ponytailed. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's what I'm remembering. It, I just remember being less distracted by it later on. But yeah, just, just when you mentioned Eric Lasalle, uh, I can't help anytime I. I see him in anything. He's just Dr. Benton from EO. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and, and he's got the greatest voice in the world. It's like, Dr. Benton. You're like, oh, 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 how can you sound so cool? I love that. I being... love the 90s ER. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's so such a good, good show. But I, I was going to talk about Gustav Skarsgård because I mentioned oh. this to a friend. I was like, oh, yeah, it's got one of the Skarsgård in it. And uh, they said to me, which one? I the said, second uh, hottest one. Gustav. Yeah, and then she said, this is what she said, oh, oh, the hot one. No. I was there thinking, ah, poor Alexander. Like, he's not working out those abs 14 oh hours God. a day. Yeah, that's who I would consider the hot scars guard. The what? Alexander? Uh, yeah. Al- Alexander is what I would consider the hot oh, scars guard. 100%. 100%. It goes Alexander with his, incra- his crazy hip flexors. Like, my kid just watched... Oh my God. Um, that Tarzan movie and oh my god what a oh. sort of crap that thing is but like so so my thing that I watched as a completist that I should not have watched all of was True Blood oh <laughs> and he is just gorgeous in that oh yeah 
no, I, I he's he's made for Lady Ogling. So, but <laughs> I would say that um, Gustav's been in a bunch of things. He he also seems to not want to be on a show where he can't wear pantaloons. Um, because he was on Vikings for a number of years as well. But I think I think of the Skarsgårds, it's it's Alexander, then it's Gustav, and then it's Bill. Bill is unfortunately like mm. he seems nice enough, but he's not the yeah. you know the piercing blue eye like intense Nordicness that the other two have. That's that's fair. Yeah, and and also like once you think about the fact that Bill Skarsgård played like Pennywise the creepy clown, you really can never yeah. get away from that in your head, even though it doesn't actually look like him. Yeah, well, and and he was in Hemlock Grove, um, which is like a that. show about like vampires and werewolves on Netflix. Uh huh. As well, and I, as much as I am a completist, I totally abandoned that show in the middle of an episode because <laughs> it was it was very very bad. So I, I watched the first seven minutes of that show and. Because I watched it for seven minutes, Netflix keeps reminding me that I should finish it. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, no, I've watched seven minutes of this and I never. I, I know better now. Yeah, yeah I'm, into, I'm into that sort of stuff, obviously. That's why I'm doing the podcast. And, and But once, genuinely, once you get through the first pre-title sequence of that, if, if it doesn't grab you, it's the kind of show where it's not going to grab you. It's the same yeah. as Supernatural. I know loads of people absolutely love it. I can't with Supernatural. I just, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm sure it's brilliant. It's just, I know for a fact, it's not a show for Ollie Brady. Mm -hmm. And yet everybody tells me, oh, it's great. And it's great. And I love it. And I'm thinking, that's, I I have no problem with you loving it. I'm not saying it's a bad show. I'm saying, is it just not my show? And Hemlock Grove, within six or seven minutes, I was like, yeah, this (laughs) isn't, this isn't for me. Yeah, I watched I watched a few episodes of it. Lily Taylor is there, like wearing a cowboy hat, looking morose, and there's a kid from Degrassi, which I will always like stand Degrassi because I love it. And I'm Canadian, I feel like that's like a bylaw. But um, <laughs> yeah, oh, it's it's a rough rough go. And I'm realizing we're like 20 minutes into recording, and we we haven't even finished the cast list, or maybe we just barely did. So maybe yeah. we should get back on track. <laughs> Yeah, there's a much longer cast list. I'm not going to list other people because uh, there's a bunch of other people that I just like have never heard of before or seen in anything. So, uh, also just before before we go into this, another reason that we probably won't list the cast list is upfront it's spoilery mm-hmm. to to name mm. it because a lot of people are double dutying character wise. And maybe before we go into the recap, I mean, if you're listening to the podcast, you should know the spoilers a lot. But this is going to spoil the entirety of season one of Cursed. So there are a couple of twists, several fairly major twists coming up. So right. just, you know, if you haven't watched it, maybe maybe come back and listen at the end. Speaking maybe of twists that no one ever could have guessed, one of them's going to come at the end. <laughs> oh, that last scene. Oh. That was brutal. So uh, with that, we can get into the enumeratio section. Or unless, Ollie, do you want to sing? Well, you say want to. Like, that's, that's something <laughs> I want to do. But... <clears throat> enumeratio. <laughs> this is almost so much worse when there's a guest, especially a guest who doesn't know to, like, do that. <laughs> so, Sarah, please recap Cursed. <laughs> So, very brief recap. 
Cursed is a reimagining of the Arthurian legends from the perspective of Nimue, who here is portrayed as a young fae girl with magical powers that even among her own people seem to be rather more intense than they are used to. After the Red Palatins, who I would describe as, I guess, a militaristic arm of the church, wipe out her village in their broader campaign against all of the fae, she joins forces with a roguish young man who is Arthur and his sister Morgana, who starts off as a nun, in order to defend the Fae against the church, as well as King Uther, who is sort of ineffectual, but also vaguely a bad guy. Also, Merlin is her bad dad magic dad, and is usually <laughs> drunk and usually not wearing a shirt. Uh, <laughs> did did I miss anything is, big? <laughs> if he is wearing a shirt, it's a flowing open robe shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't it's- call that a shirt. That's like he's wearing no shirt, but he is wearing a jacket. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the a essence look. of a shirt. But yeah. No, this, so, so Nim is supposed to be like a summoner. She has magical powers. And they constantly, there are two things that drive me crazy about the fact that they refer to her as a sky person, even though yes. like. She has nothing to do with the sky. Like And none of you them know, do. She, she doesn't well no, there's there are those um those owl people which Well like, right, but I mean none of up, her population. Yeah, but none of her none of her sky. people yeah, so she's supposed to be a sky person, even though like when she uh uses her magical powers, she has leaves pop up on the side of her face. So like why wouldn't like a tree person or a like right. any other name? Because her magic make... also seems tree-centric in general, right? Yeah. Because, like, that's the big plant. thing that she does, is she, like, makes, like, trees eat people, which, yeah. you know, good for her, but... Yeah. And then, Jillian, and... just, you said uh, leaves show up <laughs> in her face, but, I mean, surely that couldn't, because that would be a very clear indication that somebody was doing <laughs> magic, and there's no way you'd be able to hide your magic <laughs> if your face turned into that of a leaf. Like, I mean, it no. couldn't possibly... No, it's, be it's as obvious as this. It's a slightly prettier, like Mike Tyson face tattoo coming up the side. <laughs> whenever she she's like, "I'm gonna make this tree eat you," um, hmm. but yeah, it's so funny. They they treat her like such an outcast. Like she looks, she looks like a, very much the lead of a CW teen show. She's very right. like pretty in a you know kind of accessible way, I guess. And yeah, but yeah, it's just everybody's like, oh, she's so horrifying, and I'm just like, really? <laughs> like, I, I heard um, I heard a description of her on um by an Irish TV um reviewer, and he was like, Catherine Langford as Nimue. It's that Carol down the housing state that you knew in school, but you didn't really talk to, but you know, if you really worked at it, you could. Yeah, she's the prettiest girl in your junior class in high school. Exactly. Like that, yeah. That's the kind of level of attractiveness, which I don't, right. I don't besmirch at all. She's, she's very pretty. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was so weird. And then, and then later on, they go and they call her the Wolf Blood Witch, which like, I guess right. based on the fact she fights all those wolves, but like nobody else was there for right. That. It's also so, that. Okay, so she turns people into trees like 12 times in this yeah. show. There's one time where so she she's the one who is mostly the person wielding the sort of power, so Excalibur basically. Mm-hmm. And she's the one basically wielding it because her mother gives it to her and says take it to Merlin and that's a whole thing. And she kills all of these wolves and it's like you kind of get the sense that she's like that it's like 
yo, I killed these wolves like one damn time and now everybody's going to call me the wolf blood witch for like the next year? Like, chill. Yeah, but also that is definitely because nobody else was there. That was a nickname she had to have started for herself. Like this kind of right. like nerdy guy in your f- friend group who like tries to get everyone to call him the captain or something. Like it seems very much like a self-generated nickname because like <laughs> why else would anyone know about this? Because it's presented as like the paladins find all the dead wolves and then are like, it's the wolf blood witch. Oh, I, I guess, I guess. It, you know, it just to me, it struck me as a weird thing. But. Even with that, like the wolf blood witch is a cool it's a bomb-ass nickname. Like, it you know is, I mean? yeah. Like, they wouldn't, like, you're coming along, you're like, oh, this person just killed all the wolves and also turned our friend into a tree. But, <laughs> but let's just give her this cool nickname, but the Wolf Blood Witch, instead of, as what would generally come from people like that, that bitch, that's more likely to be right. what they describe her as, as opposed to, let's have this cool name. When she has Excalibur, she might as well have a lightsaber. Yeah. It's a sword oh, yeah. for everyone else. Limway has it in her hands, and she is cutting those wolves to pieces with it. It's like, wow, it's just passing right through this animal. Cool. Yeah, like butter. Mm. Okay, also with Excalibur, they made the choice that Excalibur, every time it is wielded, makes like a little noise, which the closed <laughs> captioning, which I always use because I'm secretly 90, I describes as mystical twinkling. And it just ruined it for me. Just after I saw the words mystical twinkling, I'm like, I, I just, I know what the sword is supposed to be a whole thing. And I just can't take it seriously anymore now that I know it's doing mystical twinkling every time it's wielded. It's wielded. Yeah, I was, I was telling Sarah about this before we started uh, doing the podcast, but my, my husband who used to work at the Renaissance Fair, he, he worked at the Armory booth. And so um, he didn't really watch the show with me, but um, he was sort of passing through while I was watching it. And he got so upset at the way they were handling the sword because he's like, their finger oil is all over the blade of the sword. <laughs> like, what are they doing? This right. is such a mess. What are, what are, like, and he just, he had to leave the room. Like, that was how, <laughs> how affected he was by their mishandling of this very famous sword. So hmm. it was really weird, though, the amount of times they touched it. Like, considering how it was able to cleave through things really easily. Like, right. they were constantly handling it by the blade. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they give it. They give it to Arthur at some point, and he does a couple of like twirls with the sword. He's like, "Oh, it's beautifully balanced." Here's a twirl. He's just seen the sword cut through like a block of wood, basically, and he just starts swinging it around. Like any movement, like a millimeter in the wrong direction, he's gonna cut off his fingers. Uh-huh. And he's just like, <laughs> and then as he's swinging it, it's making that mystical twinkling sound, and uh-huh. he doesn't react to it. Right. Like if I picked up a sword and the first thing I do with it is like poke it in front of me and it goes And then it like meows at you. You're going to say to yourself, hmm, that is unusual for a sword. Perhaps there's something special about this one. No, he's like, oh, it's just a really nice sword. I should go fight in a um a tournament with it. Yeah, that whole subplot like I don't I feel like Arthur's character arc is like he's about to do things and then he never does them like that's yeah kind of like i know he's there for man candy reasons which 
respect Arthur. Oh like, yeah, he is solid man candy. Oh yeah, no, he's he's like I said, gorgeous man. But like, yeah, Disgusting. he's always like, he's always like, I'm about to leave. I'm about to do this thing. I'm gonna do the tournament, and then he just like doesn't do anything. <laughs> right, and at some point he's like, maybe my destiny is just to follow you around Nimue. And it's like, okay, I guess yeah, I that's guess that's, that's, of... that's convenient as that your destiny is to follow around the woman you want to sleep with. Like, good for yeah. you. That makes it also, easy. That's the kind of boyfriend you want to run from. It's like, oh, right? I'm not going to have any interests of my own. I'm just going to follow you around all the time. That won't grate on your nerves at all. Nope. <laughs> so... Okay, the other thing I want to discuss in terms of Excalibur as just a general theme is so at first Excalibur is just like it's a really great sword and she can do everything with it and it's magic and that's very nice. Then so she her brother tells her to take the sword to Merlin and then she ends up meeting Merlin and it turns out Merlin is really her dad, which I predicted three episodes before. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the the show the show has like a history of like doing dramatic pronouncements that you already knew were coming. Like they tried to right. hide the fact that um Ingrain or Morgana was Arthur's sister and legitimately when I started taking notes, I just wrote Arthur's sister because I knew that was coming. Like Right. You I mean think I when, actually forgot when that the was her the second black character is introduced. Yes, exactly. It's like, like this, oh. this isn't a show nuanced enough to not have all the black characters be related. <laughs> Although right, having yes. said that, it is great that the green uh, real name Morgana, uh-huh. uh, which is, is such a weird misdirect too. Is like you're thinking it's like it's a grain, and you're like, wait, that's Arthur's mother. That's weird. And then she's like, don't worry about it. People just call me a grain, but my real name is Morgana. What? Why bother? It's such a such a weird thing to say is like. Oh yeah, no, that was my uh, grandmother's name. Um, the people have just always called me a grain after my grandmother, but my name is Morgana. You're like, okay, that's not how names like, work. <laughs> like why? Like if if she'd have met her and said or Morgana, like they're they're working on the cachet that people watching this know a certain amount about Arthurian legend. Uh-huh. So having her identified as a grain then to at the end of the exact same... It's either the same episode or the next episode. It's revealed that, no, actually, my real name's Morgana. You're not you're not getting a double hit there. It's just... Right. Why did I just spend two episodes with this person being called a grain? If you'd have called her Morgana at the beginning, I'm still going to go, oh, that's going to be Morgana. Right. Like, you don't need two episodes of, oh, maybe I'm friends with her. She's nice. <laughs> but what I was going to say is, it is, I do appreciate the fact that she is... Uh, a woman of color who's also a lesbian in this oh, yeah. series. No, oh yeah, she, she was legit my favorite character. Like she yeah. had the most interesting stuff going on. Um, the actress I would say is probably the best one in the in the main cast, as it were. Yeah, so, I thought she was really good. She was yeah, so good. I really good. liked, I the, wanted I really liked the way her. they did that. Yeah, um, but yeah, but I thought that was really well done. That they just like have like casually like she's in a relationship with one of the other nuns. And uh, it's like, it's not something that is considered to be officially acceptable, but it's emphasized that like Nimue doesn't care. And uh, the show also, I mean, so we kind of hinted at this before. The show is honestly surprisingly, considering some of the people behind it, does not at all feel male gazy. And even to some extent, I think really feels like there's a, like a major female gaze emphasis. Mm -hmm. And one of the, 
things that I think is interesting about that is that like it's a scene where you have these two women kissing that is not I think at all presented as something that you're supposed to find titillating as opposed to mm-hmm. a like nice romantic woman. What, no, for sure. what I really appreciated about that scene was that uh, well first of all it's two girls kissing but the other thing that I really appreciated way to, way to bring the point. male gaze Ali <laughs> oh sorry just just get, get rid of it there Sarah um, it's about time that men had their, their time to speak but um, what I really appreciated about it was that the two girls kiss Morgana Igrain goes after Nimue to be, because she's worried that she's going to reveal right. her secret but from Nimue's point of view so our POV character she's embarrassed that she had walked in on that private moment she, yeah she's not angry she's not I'm going to go give away your secret. She's like, oh, sorry for intruding. Right. Don't be mad at me that well, I no, watched was... you with your friend. Which is which is how a real human would yeah. actually interact with that. Be like, oh, sorry, I just... Like, I had two friends around the other day and as they were leaving, they were kissing in the hall just out behind me. And I walked around the corner and I was like, oh, turn and go back. <laughs> I don't need to see that. And it's just just a perfectly natural thing for somebody to be a little bit awkward when they see two people that they don't really know like making out in a corner yeah then you're like oh okay i feel like i shouldn't be here i'm gonna take off i do i do appreciate too that they headed it off right away like she was very clear like oh i i have no intention of outing you like there wasn't like weird drama around that it was just like no that's your person and it's all cool don't worry about it like even even the worst character in the series stroke maybe best character if she's really effective what she does but iris the other little nun who is Oh, I hate her. Um, even even it's implied that she isn't going to out them. It's almost implied as if she's got a little bit of jealousy towards um, Morgana and the other girl whose name I can't remember. Celia. Uh, Celia. Yeah. The most Catholic white woman name <laughs> that you could possibly imagine. Right, and because Iris also like Iris clearly has like is just like she just at least like she has bigger fish to fry. Like, she cares about this whole war against the Fae thing. Like, these two nuns making out is just, like, she's, like, whatever. Like, that's, like, small potatoes. Like, I don't have to worry about that. Uh-huh. As far as, like, morality and all of that goes from her perspective. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we did pull you off talking about bad dad, magic dad. You were about to go oh, yes, down so that I road. To, yes, so I wanted to talk about the sword. So she has this whole thing with Merlin. And Merlin reveals to her that he is her father. We see the uh, her mother, Lenore, literally, like, pull the sword out of his body, which is a thing. He also then shows the two of them having sex to his oh. daughter, which oh. is a poor parenting choice. <clears throat> and... Well, then, at that yeah. point, he has no magic. So that's just him right. trying to show off his big dick energy. Like, right? <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> let me let me regain some, like, semblance of, like, authority here by, like, shaving you and right. just watching this. Or maybe he thought, like, well, I need to show her that I am actually his, her father. So the moment of conception <laughs> is, like, really important. This is when you were, this is when you squirted out of my dick, kid. Oh, oh stop, <laughs> There's one thing I want to go back to is um, the the show starts with Nimue in water with blood coming out of her and then it cuts to her face and then goes back to the past. So it's like a real 
record scratch. How did I end up here? Kind oh, of I, I think I forgot that was the beginning. <laughs> yeah. well, I only remembered it was the beginning because I <laughs> rewatched the first episode earlier. Yeah. No, it's very much a, I bet you're wondering how I ended up in this pool surrounded by blood and like, we're supposed to be talking about Arthurian legend. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all starts with how everybody in my village was mean to me. <laughs> it's also the, it, so it really does start with people being mean to her like other people yeah. in, in the village being like dicks basically and yeah. even with that I'm looking at her going she seems friendly mm-hmm. like she comes yeah. walking into the village and everyone else is going about their job like the regular townsfolk don't seem like they're going oh my god there's yeah. that bitch it's like right. they're just doing their stuff she's chatting to the kid the most annoying kid in oh yeah they oh had to put God, a little mob in there god I hate that kid the, the, the only reason I said that Iris isn't the most annoying definitively <laughs> is because I hate that kid so much um, <laughs> yeah I did not like, understand his purpose but sure oh his purpose is to be oh the little kids can watch him too like no, no. well so every show needs to have an unreasonably precocious child yeah, he's the cousin Oliver of this show, is right. really what he is. But like, yeah, it's so weird, too, because they talk about, like, oh, she's such an outcast. But then immediately you see her talking to people. Like, right. she, she has Squirrel to hang out with. She has her best friend, Pim, who, again, yeah. is another character that I don't know why she exists. But, <laughs> to um, connect yeah, them with has, the Vikings, like, who also don't have a point. Yeah, yeah, she, <laughs> she has, well, you know, they had to have hot sea goths. That's what they needed for the right. show to be successful. Um, but yeah, it's just so weird. They're, they're talking about her like she's such an outcast, but she has a whole posse of people. So I don't know. That was very yeah, she weird. She seems like she's fine. Mm-hmm. And she has this big chip on her shoulder about her mother, who seems like she's perfectly nice and uh, very loving and accepting. But that's teen girls for you, to be fair. True, like, true. <laughs> I was a, right, I was a give you that one. my mom. <laughs> right. No, that's fair. I'll give you that one. But yeah, okay. So then after like she learns that, you know, Merlin's her bad dad, magic dad, and all of that, and that he can't, you know, do magic anymore because he doesn't have the sword. She then like sneaks this vision of Merlin back when he wielded the sword and he was like bloodthirsty and mean. Mm-hmm. And then we introduce for the first time, and it's what, like six episodes in? Yes, this is yeah, episode six, six. And she's been wielding this sword for the last five episodes. And here for the first time we introduce, no, the sword is dangerous. It will make you evil. And it's just this like, okay, so the sword is like the one ring. We get it. It like makes you a jerk. But it just comes completely out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden within like a minute, she's like, I can feel the sword's effect on me. It's making me an asshole now. <laughs> and it's like, okay, why wasn't it making you an asshole like last episode? Oh, right. Yeah, there are only 10 that episodes of the yet. show, babe. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, the, the way that stuff ratchets up in this series. So just for, for the record before you go on, because... I think we've, we've we've all three of us have been throwing a little bit of shade at the thing. I really enjoyed this season, um, and it I, was a I lot know of Sarah fun. did as well, and I'm sure Gillian did too. So if we're being critical of it, it's not because we didn't like the show. I I'm all on board for a second season. Oh yeah, I would definitely watch more. But the way that the story in this is written is so many bizarre choices. Yeah. Um, from <clears throat> so we mentioned Vikings there for a second. Uh, the Vikings are a huge subplot, mm-hmm. 
that get given maybe two minutes per episode. It's very weird because they right. have them show up through the Pym storyline, if I recall correctly. That's where they first appear. Right, because she ends up on the Viking ship because she's hooking up with one of yeah. the Viking dudes. No, well, she's not even hooking up. It's this very chase. It's this Viking yes. that looks like modern-day Alex Winter from Bill and Ted. Like the well, the one who's knocking in a reeves. He very much I think looks he's like him. more handsome than Oh Alex no, for Winter. sure. I'm just saying like <laughs> Uh, I was gonna say it's the Viking who seems like he could have been played by the other star by Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. No, this I, curiously handsome guy. Maybe it was because I just watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure before, but he struck me as a very Alex Winter. <laughs> like if he'd been wearing a half shirt, it would have been like perfection. But oh, sorry, when you said modern day, I thought you meant as in from 2020. But yeah, he looks like Alex Winter in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, like yes, I right. feel like he does. <laughs> So like there's there's she's on the Viking ship and then like yeah it's it's kind of a contrivance to introduce another character really right but yeah it just I did not understand what Pim was there for and I like I'm no. fine with her having another friend although something I actually thought about while I was watching I'm like I wonder how different the show would have been if she were Nim just because she has a a less conventional look to her and. Like, yeah, she. I feel like yeah. she would have brought a different energy to it. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I like that actress just fine, but I didn't know what she was doing or why we cared that she was there. Her, her character right. is never fleshed out beyond. I am Nim's friend. Yeah, exactly. And it's also she right. has this whole bit where she's sort of comic relief, where she's uh, tasked as being the healer for the Vikings because she's Fey and Fey are healers, which seems like a vaguely racist thing that uh-huh. people think. And then she's, like, we see a lot of her just, like, trying to, like, rip arrows out of large people and getting drunk while doing so. And, like, like, going back and forth between, like, pouring the liquor on people's wounds and, like, swigging it. And it's this kind of comic bit. And then it, like, swings into this, like, tragic bit because she's got this dude and he, like, gives her his medallion that keeps him safe. And it's like, okay, so he's giving it to her now. So that means she's gonna, that he's gonna die. And sure enough, there he goes. Yeah, well, and also, too, they, they did the thing where they made her go on, like, the land party with them at one point, which is, right, like, like, why, why? is she even there? Because she's supposed to be healing them, but, like, you know, then there was that comic relief thing of, like, oh, there's the tiny girl carrying the big sword, and then, like, they immediately get attacked. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, the problem with that is, it gets to the point where, so as I said, there's maybe a minute, minute and a half with Pim in each episode, where she's right. hanging out with these Vikings, we don't see them doing raids. We just see her doing medic stuff. That would cost too much thing, if right? we had to see yeah, them exactly. in battle. Yeah, exactly. They don't have the budget. Exactly. So, so we can't see the battle. Then they decide, but it's implied that this has happened over a series of months because right. when Viking Alex Winter dies, um, Ted, no, he's Bill, yeah. So when he's Bill Bill's dies, um, he is, uh, he's like, my Pim. And she's all sad and crying. And you're like, Oh, they were, were they meant to be in love or something? At, at yeah, some I didn't know. But but what really got me about the Vikings is they're all horrible. They're all disgusting, except for right. one beautiful man. And then the leader of them, who is the most strikingly attractive woman. Oh, yeah. She just is like, gorgeous. She, the, she was hot, yeah. Who, sir, why is she so clean and perfect with amazing <laughs> skin? Why does he? But look she just like has a, a lot of a like model? punk piercings. Yeah, right. Punk piercings. Yeah, but I mean, 
there's nothing wrong with punk piercings and stuff. Yeah, so she's just like short, a hot goth short lady. On, short on one side, long on the other side, curly yeah. hair. Sarah oh. Thicker. Um, <laughs> That's true. I have Red Spears haircut score. You have Red Spears haircut. <laughs> but what we get getting at is these two were perfect and then everyone else was like, oh, I'm a monster Viking person. <laughs> so clearly they were going to be important characters, but we don't get any time with them. Like I, I, right. I couldn't tell you what Red Spear is other than warrior woman who at the end kills another warrior woman who looks exactly like her yeah yes. i thought they were sisters and it's right. i thought they were the same person uh, yeah you were like wait why i thought red spear was on the other side and i was yeah. like oh yeah and then it wasn't until the two of them were facing each other that i'm like oh that's not red spear that's a different lady yeah no i i will i will say it like i was saying before that morgana is my favorite and i yeah. kind of like my hope for season two is that she and Red Spear cross paths, and also mm-hmm. Kaze, who was like that, um, I think she was a cat woman? Like, that was the impression I got from her weird Halloween teeth right. that they had yeah. her wearing. Uh, um, and she came from, like, a matriarchal society of cat people, which, uh, I'm down, please show me that. But, like, oh, I, yeah. want the, I want the three of them to team up in, like, a Gotham Siren Birds of Prey kind of way yes. and just go around kicking butt. <laughs> like that's what I want out of this show. Like well, yeah, right. Arthur is... she she came straight from she comes straight from Black Panther. She's like she might as well be guarding Chicala or T'Challa. Well, we were T'Challa. we were talking about this before about like some of the um the fae people who have the visible physical uh attributes. And how they are mostly played by people of color and how, like, that's sort of a weird thing in a way. like Right, and the, the fae that are human passing are mostly white. Yeah. We, so, should, we should maybe talk about the different fae, actually. Um, okay. Bring so so we, we mentioned that we have Leaf Girl, whose only fae characteristic is that when she's actively doing magic, she has a slightly glowing green leaf kind of motif on the side of her face mm-hmm. which even which, that if you wore like a heavy cloak you could probably like if you wore like yeah. a hood you could hide wear like a headband if, <laughs> if anything it makes her it makes her prettier like it, it's weird it's whatever way yeah. to do the lighting when she's doing that magic thing it's like the the extra color to her face because she's so pale like that's mm-hmm. like right. when people were talking about how that arthur was played by um a person of color like Catherine langford is whiter than I am and I'm the whitest human in existence so <laughs> it's like when she gets this color it's like oh what well, she looks more natural than normal now like it's 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 great but as we were talking before like the antler people have antlers <laughs> like you can't hide <laughs> right that. yeah um the snake people what, oh my god so they have these the like face that looks like scales kind yeah, of yeah no but it, it's very poorly done maybe it's just my tv i don't know maybe they didn't shoot it in a way that they thought it would be viewed in high depth but the very first time i saw them because of their weird scaly hairlines i thought they were frankenstein people like it hmm. just was this weird hairline <laughs> mesh situation where i yeah. was like what is happening like this is, this looks bad <laughs> I was thinking it looked like they were like stone or something. I didn't get snake at first either. It, yeah, it came no. across like grayscale from yes, Game of Thrones. Exactly, that's what they look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then there were. I I have to bring this up because like, oh my god. So there, at one point, there's an owl lady who I think her name is Yeva. Right. 
And, yeah. like, oh my gosh, the whole look of that character. One, why is she not called the Sky Person? Because, bird. And two, right? it very much seems like the costumer saw the 2019 uh, film of Cats and then was like, what is Cats <laughs> but birds? Because I have expected, like, Jason Derulo to jump in from off screen with wings shouting his own name. Like, Jason it, Derulo. Jason Derulo. Like, it's now just, on the it, face. It was so weird, and, like, I just, I, yeah, I, I felt weird, because, like, honestly, the, the owl lady is the one who looks most like an animal, like, right. there are the people with the, with the horns, and, you know, people with scales and stuff, but, like, she has, people have it wings. looks like full-on wings, like, she's, it's, it's a whole look. Right. So, the, the weird was, thing about the, the horn people is that there seems to be different groups within that yeah because yeah you've got there there's a variety of horns yeah it's like look at these gigantic antlers they're clearly deer people yeah and then later on there's a siege um happening and the leader of the fae in the siege has what can only be described as like goat horns like mm-hmm. tight to his skull yeah. goat horns and you're like wait why is he a slightly different version of the same group yeah, they didn't really get there... into it well enough that I even understood, like, who was part of what faction or where they came from or any of that. Right. And that then also, so now I'm going to get into uh, one of the big, uh, the kind of big spoilers. So one of the, the major antagonists are these red paladins, these churchy people. And their big fighter is uh, this uh, gentleman called the Weeping Monk. Oh my god, yeah, I referred to him as Gerard No Way all the way through, because he looks very emo with all of his eyeliner and his, like, mercurial mood things, like, it was never clear to me what his deal was. (laughs) Right, so he has this, like, emo-looking, like, what looks like this basically, like, eyeliner ending in, like, a tattoo that makes it look like he's, like, crying black tears all of the Mm -hmm. time, basically, which is, like, a real look. And at the and toward the end, uh, Gawain, who is the Green Knight, which is another whole thing that oh, I have feelings about in terms of Arthurian adaptations, um, <laughs> like just sees him and he's like, "Oh yeah, you're Fey, you're Ash folk," and it's like, if you just know that, like, why didn't everybody know that? Yeah, but but that's the thing is, there's so many little threads which are just left. Like, for example, we talk about the Weeping Monk. The Weeping Monk gets into several sword fights. He's a god with a sword. Like, right. He's just cutting people down. He's not breaking sweat, except for that one point near the end where he needed Squirrel to come out and cheer him on so he could, which we'll get to. But there's a bit where he cuts down like 10 of these gold-faced warriors, then gets a little bit tired and is losing to six. Like, so he beats 10, then is losing to six. Squirrel comes out and goes, you can do it, Mr. Ashfield, man, I believe in you. And then he just cuts them down in a matter of seconds. You're like, you're right, I could do it. Thank you. <laughs> I forgot, I'm the best swordsman in this entire show. But he clearly has, like, preternatural um, agility, right? Yeah. He doesn't seem to be able to display emotions like a normal human being. He came out of nowhere, he's a zealot, and yet no other paladin has any questions about him. 
Right. The and guy it's who comes clear... from the Pope has no questions about him. He's clearly right. different. Well, it's and it's clear, clear that Father Cardin knows, but does yeah. anybody else know? No, nobody else knows because know. that that's kind of laid out. Cardin kind of threatens him with. I I kind of got the everybody. weird yeah. impression that uh, Cardin had like adopted him in a right. way, because uh, I believe he called him father at one point, like in a way oh, that think, to me, no. in a way that to me read as like a familial greeting. But like I I feel like maybe uh, Cardin picked him up during a raid and then realized that he could harness his powers, but like that, yeah, that's not weird. clear right, in any way. He can smell, he can smell other Fae. And that it does yeah. kind of indicate in that scene at the end that he like kept him because he could do that, that he kept him alive. And then also that like their whole relationship is like basically just Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's actually kind of the same as Thanos with Gamora and Nebula. It's actually mm-hmm. the exact same relationship. Yeah. It's similar. The only issue that I have with that is when we are introduced to Cardin, he's killing a child. Right. Like, um, it's like, here's Cardin, here's the red things. And he's sitting with a little boy and he's like, sometimes even the children need to go. And then it cuts off screen and it's clear Cardin has just murdered, murdered this kid. Yeah. So he doesn't save him because he's a kid. He saves him because he, he figures smell out that, yeah, that he has this thing that's useful. But like, are there no other children that have things that can be useful? Why doesn't he have this like little like mini army of like Stockholm Fay warriors? Like mm-hmm. it's like in uh, the X Men where Magneto was recruiting like other other children of ability. Right. Like, it does sort of seem like he could have a whole army of like pyros and whatnot following behind him to his own use. Right. But I don't know. Yeah, I think we're we're skipping a couple of uh, major things. So um, Nimue turns a guy into a tree, um, but he doesn't die because his friends cut <laughs> Not him. Not right out. away. And during this time, yeah, during this time she's escaped um, out from the Palins because what happens is the Palins are going around killing all the Fae, and they attack her village. She escapes. And she goes and hides in, um, I was going to say a monastery, but it's not a nunnery. Um, and she, she hides... Um, Either term what, what, is acceptable, the... by the way, because uh, sometimes oh, we actually... Skip. Yeah, because uh, in, in, in medieval studies scholarship, at least, like people often refer to like women's monasteries and like women's monasticism. And monasticism is like a catch-all term. So, so she runs and hides in a convent, which is where she meets Morgana, who's a nun, um, because she was sold because Arthur dad had debts and when he died the debts passed on to the child uh even though arthur was clearly like 13 in these things so he sold his sister to right. the nuns well i don't think um, willingly but yeah no no yeah but i'm not saying it was yeah it wasn't he like, was Haha, like get out of here right it was like to take her off the family's like you know she's not going to be a burden on the family uh-huh. anymore financially or whatever so mm-hmm. she's there but she's obviously still friends with arthur or still talks to arthur or whatever but nimue's hiding out there the monk gets brought to the nunnery and the convent and uh, monastery and uh she has to try and treat him for his injuries while also pretending that she's not you know the the wolf blood witch or whatever uh-huh. and that's when father carden gets in and she meets father carden and we get iris and all this stuff and it's just 
And Iris is the one who like gives her away, right? Because Iris yes. is like, there was another girl. She's missing. Oh God, I hate. Just can we talk about Iris for a second? Oh my uh, God. Oh, he's she's worst. really good at what she's doing, and what she's doing is making you hate every second that she exists. <laughs> Yeah, so she fucking burns down the monastery because yeah. she knows that, like, some of the nuns were, like, helping Nimue. So she's yeah. like, yeah, so she's like, yeah, fuck this. And, like, does, like, a cleansing fire and murders, like, 40 people. And then goes to the paladins and is like, can I be a paladin? And they're like, no, we don't take ladies. And then she's like, how can I change your mind? And they're like, I don't know, murder the wolf blood witch. And she's like, awesome, I'm going to do that. It is just, I, I don't know where they're going with the character. Uh -huh. Because I don't know who in Arthurian legend she is meant to represent. Uh -huh. Whereas right. with everybody else that shows up, and Sarah knows that I'm, I, I love my, my Arturian legend. And I know she loves it too. I cannot place who Iris is meant to be. For a long time, I thought maybe there was going to be some trick that Iris is just her her nun name because they, they often take right. na names when they become nuns. Um, and that we're going to find out that her name is um, Moradin. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. something, something like that, like our... Or whatever but i at the minute i just don't understand who she's meant to be a stand-in for and right i was thinking like yeah like are they going with a mordred kind of thing but like like maybe that's going to be her nickname so because she, she's the one who kills nimue which or at least you know i think it's unclear if nimue is like long-term or temporary dead but like uh -huh. she shoots her at least and she falls into the water and it's all bloody which feels super unearned because until that point, she just feels like this like annoying sub like side plot. And then yeah, it's like, anytime really? she showed up, it was like, why are you here again? Like the part right. where she, she was suddenly with squirrel and they were doing like archery. And I was thinking, okay, like, uh, is this actually going to mean like their plot like intersect or she changes him and, and adapts him to the cause or like something like is this interaction for anything no. but it really didn't seem like it it was like oh well we haven't seen this actress in like two episodes so I guess we'll throw her in here like it was it's to it was justify off. that she knows how to shoot arrows I guess so yeah but right it was, it like, was weird <laughs> yeah Oh, yeah, spoiler goodness. alert. She's the one who kills Nimue, which just feels super unearned. And then because of that, the Pope like accepts her into his fancy gold-faced guards. And I think that's the last scene is like Iris like off. putting on her fucking gold mask. And it's like, what? So like they're setting her up that she's like the main villain, but like I don't understand why we care. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't care. And also the gold mask killers um or the gold master think swiss guard because they're the pope's like private little army right but they're much cooler and, looking no they're way cooler than swiss guard, <laughs> they don't they don't have the little hats sorry yeah. swiss guard but, and the like multicolored uniforms like the, the the image they project is the not badass <laughs> yeah but um so she she joins them but they are lined up as being like these super warriors because everyone is like afraid of them and then Iris comes walking down that thing at the end and she looks like a seven-year-old child. Yeah, no, she... Wearing a gold mask. She totally looked to me like, um, I think the actress's name is Isabel Furman. She was in that movie Orphan, 
where it yes. was like an adult woman pretending to be a <laughs> child and well you know shades of this I guess because she's supposed to be really young but yeah it was so weird I she was so yeah. wee. <laughs> yeah but no I just I I just don't get her as a character and why they made her so important I just I just don't understand that as a choice there is one other thing that really stood out to me is that she joined so basically Nimue escapes from the convent goes to stay with the fae there's a fae resistance they're going to fight back against Uther who we haven't really mentioned and the red paladins who are working with Uther at this time and Morgana is there as a kind of a leader despite the fact that she's not fae herself which is strange because they really don't seem to like Arthur well, because of his she, but she she's, seems to head the resistance, like the underground railroad for the Fey, right? That was my right. understanding of her role. So she yeah, was she helping was in, like shepherd in, people yeah. to this promised land that they're hiding in. Right, like so, she's demonstrated real allyship as opposed to Arthur, who just like fucking shows up and is following Nimue around. Yeah, but in relation to the Iris thing, Iris is in the group meetings with yes. Morgana. And Morgana doesn't recognize Iris at any stage. Right? Maybe that's and because it's never she's spider-possessed. Especially, oh, it could be, yeah. But <laughs> it's also because, like, Celia, Morgana's girlfriend, dies. Like, she is killed in the destruction of the convent. Yeah, and it gets Iris down. killed her. Yeah, so Iris killed her. And yet, so you would think Morgana would at least see her, spot her, recognize her, and go... Sorry, what actually happened in my convent? But it never yeah. that scene never occurs. Uh-huh. And as you said, maybe it's because a spider <clears throat> But no, that the spider comes afterwards That's when they, they make the badass girl group <clears throat> to go off where I just assumed that two of them were going to die. Oh um, yeah. One hundred percent. I was so worried in this group of like one white woman who's the main character and two women of color. I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. And yeah. they both survive and I was very happy and I was about that. so happy about that. I was very stressed. Like especially yeah. when um they had Kaze talk about like where I'm from and I'm like, Oh no, is this oh, gonna no. be like no. your your disclosure Tragic backstory. Of who you are as a person and then you're gonna be brutally murdered? Because I, I feel like that's where we're going. <laughs> yeah. And especially because that is what they do with the uh, the um, one of the uh, the black man who goes with uh, Gawain and Arthur. Oh yeah, uh, the that only guy, black uh, Bergerum. Man. Yeah. yeah, and except for yeah. Arthur, of course. But like, yeah. he's I think the only other named black male character, and yeah, and he like dramatically dies to make everyone sad. My my favorite thing about about Cassie is um, she punks out Arthur. Um when Arthur's suggesting that he goes with Nimue and he's like, oh, she'll need me for protection or whatever. And she just looks at him and she's got her spear. She's like, Pfft. oh yeah. As, I mean, just, it's clear. Like you're, you think you're more protection than me. Not a chance. Son, <laughs> can we, can we just, as a, an aside, the whole thing where, um, the, the troop of Arthur and Gowan go to protect the granary. Like, I, just for a logic sake, the squirrel shows up in the middle of this, and yep. then he sneaks his way right. in, and then they're like, block where he came in, and I'm like, wait a minute, no! Like, why don't go you go and investigate way. how he came in on scene, and then go out that way, but, like, apparently they're just gonna make a last stand in the granary, and it really annoyed me. Anyway, I'm sorry. We weren't talking oh, about that. We were talking about something else. <laughs> well, we, we can talk about that. Yeah. The granary, and how it's 
Uh, right. So Gawain, who's introduced as the Green Knight, um, I hate and that. I know Sarah is so going much. to talk I hate about it that. So much. <laughs> but the greenness to his knighthood is that he's got one shoulder guard <laughs> yeah. in his mixed match set of armor, which happens to be slightly green. It's, it looks like it just like somebody took some like green paint from the hardware store and painted this one damn plate of his armor green. It looks yeah. awful. Yeah. And so from from Arturian legend, right? Gawain is the best swordsman. He's the best fighter. That's literally his entire purpose in that series is that when he finally comes up against the Green Knight, he has difficulty in defeating the Green Knight, but he he does. Mm-hmm. Gawain's function in this story is to be a dick, to act like a dick, and then to lose a fight to the Whispering Monk. And the also, monk. like the Weeping Monk, monk sorry, and the Whispering also, Monk is a way cooler name. Right. <laughs> and also to introduce this weird bit where Arthur is like anxious and they have toxic masculinity fights because Arthur worries that he's competition for Nimue's affections. Uh-huh. And then as they're taking this stupid last stand, Arthur's like, wait, before we go out, I need to know, are you in love with Nimue? And Gawain's like, we don't fucking have time for this. And Arthur's like, just tell me. And he's like, no, I feel like she, I treat her, I see her as a sister. Like, don't worry about it. And, and, and Arthur's like- And also where he looks at him and goes, no, I'm clearly a 45-year-old man. <laughs> She's 17. Yes! What and are you even talking about, you goddamn right. nuts? And he's like, and he's like, Arthur, you can like marry her five times. I don't care. Just like, please shut up and let us fucking do this. <laughs> it's such a childish thing that Arthur can talk about. But even before that, Arthur, who has been the mercenary, is like, oh, you know, when we go on this attack thing, we're about to go walking through the woods. Maybe we should send a scout. And then just from, as you said, sheer toxic masculinity, uh, Gawain goes, no, we're all going to go. You're like, even if you had never been in a battle before in your life, surely you would understand, send one person up just to right. check you're not going to get out yeah, but As I, opposed to, let's all walk into the I date. think they were using that as like a misdirection because at that point, Arthur and that young man that um, was kind of oh, right. to be setting him up. <laughs> They seem to be setting up as like Arthur's disciple or or his guy, the guy who had the badger hat. I'm forgetting what his name was, but the little badger hat boy. Maybe I'm I'm trying to. Sarah Sarah sent me a message. He came on screen, and I had been complaining about Squirrel, and Sarah said, "Well, at least we have somebody who's more annoying than Squirrel." (laughs) And then there's a dot 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 in the message. She goes. Bet you any money he's dead before the end. Yup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and I, I was, was right. <laughs> but yeah, like that was so great. Like, I, I feel like that them going off as a group instead of sending like a scout was a way to like misdirect because you think, oh, well, they're going to get sieged maybe. And then Arthur and um, Badger Hat will be the only ones left. <laughs> right. And then, and then all of a sudden, like, um, Badger Hackett, did he get an arrow through the throat like Kevin yep. Bacon in Friday the 13th style? Like it yep. was pretty. He just he died like almost immediately, and he was so right. looking forward to this, and it was very weird. Right. Well, Arthur, by the way, dodges an arrow. Yeah, Matrix style. I hate it's, when they have that uh, that bit. 
I hate all of that I stuff. I hate that trope, but like, <laughs> it, you're not Neo in the Matrix, dude. <laughs> He's not Neo even in the Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is the subplot involving um, uh, <laughs> Merlin. There's so Where Merlin many no longer has magic. Because Merlin's magic was based around the fact that he had Excalibur hidden in his body. Right. So he can only do magic through Excalibur is what I'm getting. But Excalibur's been taken out of his body for at least 15 years. So he's been, however old Nimue is. So he's been pretending to be a magician and reading the signs and getting drunk for (laughs) as long as Nimue's been alive. Which honestly props. Props are for getting away with it. Yeah. It's just weird that he's did it. But first of all, what I want to get across is one, when I say he had the sword hidden in his body, it's inside his body. The sword is about five feet long and he at some point has the scar the whole way down his body. How would he have walked? It's magic. Because like, the sword's magic. Goes down Don't worry about it. His hip, yeah. like, he couldn't have sat down. He's got a sword that's five feet long yeah. to his body. But he then also goes to this king of the lepers. Oh my god, Ruby um, Eye Guy. Yep. Yeah, Ruby Eye Guy to get Rugen, I think his name is, to get yeah. uh, help because he's trying to track down Nimue because he needs to get the sword off her. Not because he wants the magic, but because he wants to save her from the one ring, which the sword is now representing. <laughs> right. Um, As we introduce several episodes in, and that's the first time you see any sign that it's negatively affecting her. You never see that mentioned until like episode seven. Uh, Rugen has the body of Boudicca. Yep. <laughs> just just chilling. Like, again, here's some more King Arthur related stuff. There we go. Um, no explanation of how it happens. He manages to escape with an invisibility horse. What? Um, yeah. I thought he so, stole the fire of the Fae. Yeah, he stole the fire of the Fae. And then the widow gives him the magic horse, right? Oh, yes. the horse. And okay. then there's like yeah. this invisible horse. He's like, oh, my invisible like, horse, show up. And the horse shows up. He's like, yeah, I can escape these guys now. <laughs> and then they, like, so this is all happening as like side plot. Right. Like, what is he up to? So he's got the Fae fire. He is at odds now with Uther because Uther's realized that he doesn't have any magic. He's just been spoofing for the last 15 or 16 years or whatever um uther is making a deal with the vikings and it turns out that uther is not actually the real king because he has no actual claim because he's an illegitimate son because the queen's the queen mother's actual child had died in childbirth uh-huh. yeah, they pulled the baby with the room it's very yeah, soap so, opera like where right now right <laughs> yeah baby twister so they stole the baby and there's this like they're going to go and find her and they're going to prove who it was or whatever the story happens to be. And then there's like uh Rugen has sent an assassin to kill The fish guy. The fish the fisherman. fisherman. Yeah. yeah. He's a fisherman and he's going to kill uh Marilyn. He eventually catches Marilyn. He has him banged to rights. And for some reason because everything up until this point, this guy who's been in the background just going around killing people has shown no emotion, hasn't talked, hasn't shown any interest in having any sort of thing. 
suddenly decides he wants to stop to have a conversation with Marilyn as he's about to die. Well, because he adds in this whole thing like, yeah, I mean, you know, I got paid for this, but I would have done it for free because of like what you did to my father. And it's like, what did he do to his father? We don't know and nor do we care. We don't know who you are, dude. So don't say what you did to my father. We, we don't know. Like, what so is that? Th- like, it's just such an unnecessary, like, introduction of this theoretical side plot that, like, never gets explained. It's so weird. It is exactly what happens with the Red Viper of Dawn mm-hmm. when... But that, at least, that was built up as a plot, though. And it makes sense. He's yeah. looking for a confession because he, he, he doesn't even really care about the... I was going to call him the, the, uh, Tyrion. the mountain. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't care about that. He yeah. wants a confession related to Cersei. Like right. he doesn't, he doesn't want a confession from the mountain. The mountain is nothing to him. He mm-hmm. wants to, to lead in that. That makes sense. And in the TV show, it's brilliantly done in this. It's, Oh, here's this backstory that nobody knows about. Couldn't possibly know about because the fisherman is only in two scenes. Right. And in both of them, it's just him walking away from dead bodies. Yeah. But now he wants to editorialize about <laughs> well, how you're a bad guy, but, that, but that's 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 I'd say the biggest issue that I have with the show is that they tell us a lot of things, but they don't show us a lot of things. Right. So like they try to imbue like a certain amount of gravity to things that like we don't know anything about that. Like why would we care? Yeah. I, you know, I that's and that's part of the thing that I think that really hurts the show. Yeah. As much as there are parts of it I enjoyed, it's just like, well, I don't feel emotionally connected to this character or their journey because I don't mm-hmm. really know what their journey is. So if they die, they die. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's also that it feels like there's so much behind the scenes world building, which is fine. I don't think it's a bad thing for the author to have like come up with motivations for characters that then, you know, don't actually get delved into in detail. But I feel like you have to do one or the other. Like, I feel like it's just, it feels like it's this, like, index card thing Mm -hmm. that, like, somebody had, like, written down, like, oh, uh, whatever his name is definitely wants to kill Merlin because, like, Merlin murdered his father or whatever. And then they're like, we have to get this in somehow. Like, we have to mention this detail. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you you don't, though, because it doesn't add anything. And so it's it's a lot of this just, like, somebody did this work of world building and they have to mention things related to that regardless of whether it contributes to the plot. Or it feels like they maybe, like, put a bunch of character names and plot points into a hat and they just pulled them out. And they're right. like, okay, so that's what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Like, I, we haven't really talked about Uther very much, aside from the fact that he's a baby that was stolen, effectively, to secure... Um, a position on the throne but you know for his and, mother and, who is very evil yes yeah she's very his mother yeah. who's just practicing poison yeah right all the time. like that's yeah. just her thing is she's just like locked up alone in a room and is practicing how to poison people and then she honest she unassumingly eats something from him and gets poisoned i'm like how did you not see that coming but right like but, come on but like so I, I don't know Arthurian legend as well as either of you, but what I do know is that um, Uther, in a lot of historical uh, texts, is supposed to be Arthur's father. Yep. Yes. Which, like, he is obviously not in the show because they look comparable in age. Um, and yeah, he looks like a bargain basement Orlando Bloom. Like, he's just... <laughs> I didn't, I, you know, I, I guess there's some purpose in having him, but like, he really, he was so mealy mouthed and like, right. I didn't, you know, 
Oh, and he cries like Dawson Leary, too. He is not a good crier, this man. Like, at one point, he, he cries, I think, after his mother tells him that he was stolen from his real family. Right. Or she confirms that he was stolen from his real family. And he does some Dawson Leary style crying. And, yeah, I never so cared what, when he showed up. I was just sort of like, okay, let's get back to the people I care about. Like, this is filler. The worst, the worst thing about Uther and his mother, who it basically is meant to be Eleanor of Aquitaine from the right. way she's presented... Is that like she's this powerful, strong, intelligent woman, and here's this weak king who is her son? Mm-hmm. It's a very Eleanor but, John dynamic. Yeah, they pull away from that so strongly in the last episode. Yeah, they minimize her. So for the first three episodes, four episodes, she gets a certain amount of screen time. Then she disappears from three because it's almost like the writers were like, "Oh, well, I mean, we're making this woman too interesting." <laughs> People are going to want to know things about her. People are going to want to know about her. So let's just have her show up, tell him in a, where he's acting like a spoiled teenager. And then she's acting like a, a teen mom, even when I never wanted you anyway, you know, like that's the level. that Right. And then, and then it's just like murder time for her. Whereas she could have been a super strong character. Very, very interesting. Pulling the strings Uh in the background. Because she's much more interesting than Uther. Oh, for a sure. I mean, that was the only good thing about the Uther scenes was his mother. Yeah, he's she's really and she's a very good actress too. Yeah, like she pulls it off in those first three episodes. But can I talk about the single thing that angered me the most in this show? Oh, do yes. it, do it. Okay, so Morgana is the best character. One hundred percent. She's the 100. best character until we get to episode seven, because in episode seven, Morgana suddenly becomes an idiot, and the reason she becomes an idiot is. They're in this cave system, which is where they've gone because they're hiding with. They're, they're, they're going to meet Marilyn and they end up in the caves. And Morgan or um, uh, Nimue drops the sword. Well, she throws it in uh, anger. Right, yeah. So yes. stupid. And it's like, what? This is such a poor right. choice, Why? Nim. So ridiculous. And then uh, Kaze is like, I'll go get it. And then Morgana goes, No, I'll go get it. You're like, No. Nimue should go get it. You threw the fucking fucking sword. Go get it yourself, dummy. Exactly. But they go into the... She goes down into this haunted cave, right? And Celia walks out of the dark. And Morgana knows, number one, that Celia's dead. Right. Even if she doesn't know Celia's dead, she's 90% certain Celia is dead. Yeah. Even if she's 10% dubious that she isn't dead. Why would Celia be living in the depths of a black cave in the middle of nowhere, down where the sword is? Why would she come walking out and still have Morgana react to her and talk to her as if she is the real Celia? Because in that scene, and I watched it again afterwards, it's not, oh my God, there's something happening here. Are you a ghost? It's Celia, I thought you were dead. Hugs, kisses. What? You... Up until this point, right? Her lack of suspicion. But, her but lack of suspicion seems bizarre to me. But doesn't she? Doesn't Celia say that like they say something about how they managed to escape and they hid in the tunnels? Like I thought that was something that nope, she said she initially. She doesn't. No. Am I just? She just comes up. Oh my gosh! I feel okay now. I feel like I'm disconnecting yeah, plot dots. Because <laughs> she goes, Celia goes on to explain that she's dead. Okay. Right, yeah, because yeah, right. eventually right. she acknowledges She does that explain, okay. so it's just this beginning of it. Okay, all right. And because 
what I just forgot her name Morgana I nearly said what's her face and then Mar- <laughs> but Morgana says I thought you were dead and she's like no or maybe not not fully dead it's something you know some vagary like that don't there. worry about it yes my yeah, my basically. apologies to anyone listening to this episode we all watched this show like a few weeks ago and then just got around <laughs> to recording it so some of some of our our rantings and things are are, are misremembering but this is just one of those Definitely things where it just drives me insane because clearly, especially when she admits that she's dead, right? Because, I mean, maybe I'm reading it as her admitting that she's dead, but she definitely says, I can't talk to you anymore unless you let this spider crawl into your mouth <laughs> and hide in your eyeball. And at that point, surely your suspicions should be raised that right. this might be coming from the side of evil in some way. You know what I thought a... was going to happen? Mm-hmm. I thought that she was going to be possessed by the spider and that she would be the one to kill Nim while possessed that's by right. the spider and like completely eliminate the Iris character. Like that's what I thought. Yeah. Like it just like she because there... doesn't it make because so that's much what they're more going sense. for, especially because the Kyliach, the spider demon thingy keeps like telling her like it's destiny you not nimue are supposed exactly. to be the most powerful witch exactly 100%. that's totally where i thought we were headed with yeah. there was going to be some like witchy showdown and then that would right. be but i mean i guess their special effects budget really couldn't hold up for two people to be but using magic even, in the same scene no <laughs> even in that scene where nimue becomes the queen of the britons or whatever it is queen of the fae mm-hmm. right or the fae queen hail the fae queen it's really setting that up because Morgana is in the room saying the words, but there's no emotion. She's clearly under the influence right, of something else. It's clearly just for show. It's a hail the fair queen, hail the fair queen. And we see the little spider yeah. crawl across her yeah. eyeball. And it just makes so much more sense. It's so much more narratively satisfying yeah. to have this evil version of the magic because that's what the Kylock represents. It's the Irish word for lost. It means coming from the mm-hmm. dark side of the magic as in the fae meaning bright kylock meaning dark mm-hmm. that they would be battling with each other it makes perfect sense and right. yet at the end of it they're all working to i mean we'll, we'll get to the end in a minute i'm legitimately angry about it but <laughs> it just annoys me so much that a character who up until this point as we said has been leading the underground railroad has been competent and in charge and crafty i mean she's hiding a lot of things from a lot of people it's suddenly foolish enough to just wander in and go oh there's my dead girlfriend no she's not dead oh wait she might be dead but i kind of really like talking to (laughs) her so don't worry about it (laughs) right and then it's also this bizarre so the way they then handle this whole possession thing is that there's this character, the Widow, who's mostly interacted thus far with Merlin. Uh And she's like death, basically. And she realizes that Morgana's possessed and like chokes the Kyliok out of her, question mark? Yeah, it's weird. The other thing is, I thought the Widow was... Uther's mother. Right. For the first three times she showed up. As in, this woman is working in the background helping Marilyn because it's shown that they have a relationship later on. Mm-hmm. That would have been such a more interesting plot. Yeah. Like, if she were kind of double agenting the whole thing, that would have been really cool. And then also that would have meant that the mother had something to do, which would have been nice because she was very interesting. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, I, genuinely I was thinking this, oh, she's been Faye this entire time. Mm-hmm. And she's been working this magic angle under Uther's nose and the whole stuff with the poisoning is to hide the magic. So maybe right. she's not actually poisoning people, she's using magic, but then, oh, I'm actually the potions master at right. Hogwarts. <laughs> not the master of the dark arts. Like, but I am end, the half-blood prince. <laughs> I am the half-blood prince, exactly. But in the end, it just turns out, no, nope, uh, mother's dead and this is just another unexplained character that gets taken over in uh what do you call them jillian vine oh vine swipes like there's or vine wipes i actually like the concept that Mm -hmm. morgana like fights the widow and then kills her Uh because the widow says like that nimue is gonna die and so morgana like fights her and then because of that becomes like kills her and therefore becomes her yeah i actually think that's interesting but it's also, it's a scene that should have been interesting, but instead of showing the scene, yeah, so you said they're called vine wipes, Jillian? Yeah, well, instead of a star wipe, it's like vines. Right. So I just said like every time animated, they did those, yeah, anytime they did those weird little interstitial things, it was just like, oh, okay, I guess mm-hmm. this is like part of, like, you didn't have the budget. And this, this particular thing we're talking about, like, pretty much happens in a vine wipe. So yeah. You don't really see it happening which is like okay if you're gonna spend money somewhere that would have been a good place to spend it yeah Yeah. it's the other thing that really uh sucks about the vine wipes is that they play fake um evanescence music over the top which is also the the, uh the theme music is this like uh like basically like low rent (laughs) evanescence (laughs) it's like what what is this it's 2004 all over again (laughs) Wake me up. So speaking of music, we, we haven't we haven't talked too much about the female gazy stuff or the sex oh, scene, which I yes. feel like we ha- we have to tackle like in the context of this episode because that was one there was there was amongst the three of us there was a lot of debate as to whether or not you saw Nimue topless because at one point there's a very quick chest shot of somebody and I was the tiebreaker and it was <laughs> Arthur. That I was. really, I, was I Arthur. really thought we got Nimue's no, for a second. No, she, she had modesty hair. So <laughs> like it covers her. her Which chest. is interesting. Cause that means that we really do see so much more of Arthur showing off his body and not oh, yeah. only in this scene, but also there's this scene a while back when they're flirting in some hot springs and Arthur is like, here, I don't want you to feel bad about your scars because she has these like magic scars. And he's like, no, all to make you feel better, I'm going to quote, show off my scars, uh-huh. which means that he like stands up and like twists his body to like show off his pecs. Yeah. <laughs> and his butt. Yeah. And oh, it's like, well, oh, also, okay. Yeah. Showing yeah. your quote scars, Arthur. Okay. Yeah. Sure. It's very much the scene from Jaws where they're comparing scars, but uh-huh. um, with the addition of abs and cum gutters. So yeah. it was, <laughs> it was like, Ooh, like, but yeah, you don't, you don't see anything. I, I contest to in the scene where they are in the hot springs that like, you can see the top part of his chest in the water, but you cannot, you cannot see, hers. see hers. Yeah. So I think, um, Catherine Langford had some sort of nudity clause or something yeah, because right. you, you see a lot of, you see Arthur, uh, naked, you see Merlin naked, you, you do not see her naked. And, yeah. you know, in any other show, I do have to applaud them for that because in any other yeah. show, there'd be like 
a shot of her emerging from the water, like she's supposed to be the lady of the lake. Mm-hmm. There'd be a shot of her emerging from the water in some sort of like very gauzy white dress. Right. You know, you know that they would do that yeah. in like almost any other show. And I, I appreciated that they did it and that a lot yeah. of the like um a lot of the pervy shots are <laughs> men right. are not ladies. Right, yeah. The pervy shots are like all about men, yeah. I, I wouldn't even call them pervy shots. I, I, can I talk about Catherine Langford for a second? Oh, please because I don't do. want to, yeah. because I, like as a dude, right? So she's very, very pretty. Um, She is not waif thin. And right. I would assume that a lot of this was her saying, uh, or a clause in her contract saying, well, I'm not showing my body because... If she was to show her body in the way that um, uh, Skarsgård shows his, mm-hmm. people are going to look at him and go, oh, he's playing a man. They would look at her body and she's not waif tin, she's not uh, a feather, she's a normal looking human being. Mm-hmm. She would get so much crap about it. Like, it, it's mm. just, it's mm. painful how much more the body standards are on women than they are on men that you can have a normal dude just take off a shirt and have his, you know, dad bod like that's like i, I was watching Merlin's something bad recently. dad magic dad bod my dad bod <laughs> yeah exactly uh but i was i saw something recently where they were talking about zach <gasps> i like, saw that um, too that was wild if they're going right so first of all zach efron's like 10 years younger than me right um they were going on about his dad bod <laughs> and i'm sitting looking at this guy going he has pecs and arms and a four pack and yes he's got a little bit of 30 year old man spread around the waist that's not a dad bod no. right dad bod is i've got a gut because i've been drinking six cans of beer every like when maybe not quite beer belly level but it's the fact that they were like oh he's got a dad bod isn't it hard on men now and thinking, no, it's no. Not, it's not no way he's still Zac Efron like his, he still right. has like a beautiful man face and like yeah right it's and like also, oh yeah I he can... skipped ab day one day at the gym and then people are freaking out at him like that's ridiculous right. <laughs> and I do I completely agree that it does seem really possible that there would have been a bunch of that there would have been a bunch of gross comments about like oh we can like see that she has some small amount of belly fat mm-hmm. and yeah. in addition to the fact that you know anybody of any gender has the perfect right to say I don't want to be naked in a thing it also does definitely seem possible that one of the reasons could be that she, you know, didn't want to have people commenting on her body mm-hmm. and criticizing her body, which uh, they shouldn't. She's lovely, but, you know, that she's she's not that traditional, like, stick figure thin. Yeah. And this is this is something that pops up a lot as well, right? So I'm, I'm going to talk about this as a man talking about man stuff, right? I sit down and I watch a movie. And I see a dude who's got a six pack and he's built like, and he's covered in muscles and stuff like this here. And I can look at that and say, that is only achievable for somebody who has the ability to spend eight hours a day in a gym with their personal trainer who is giving them chicken fillets for breakfast, <laughs> seven eggs at lunchtime, and then an entire chicken in the evening time. And that's all they're eating. They're not even having salad because salad's not going to help you build up those pecs, Right. And I can watch that. And as a perfectly rational man, I can sit there and say, I will never achieve that. Right? But I also know that uh, two weeks ago, I was out on the beach and I took my shirt off and I wandered around with my 39-year-old doesn't do all that much exercise body. And I didn't have one look 
in my direction. I didn't have anybody snigger. I didn't. Do you know? Do you get what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's like, so when you see tons of people, and I saw articles written about this, is oh, and it's very female, and it's so there was loads of people saying it's great that it's female gaze, and it is, but there were lots of guys. Let's call them MRAs, right? Men's rights activists going, oh, it's an unachievable thing for men. And and Arthur's on the thing and he's got a six-pack and I'll never have a six-pack. Nobody expects you to have a six-pack. Nobody looks at you as a man and thinks, oh, I'm going to judge this guy. When every single other show on TV is Peter Griffin married to Lois Griffin, who is a nine and he's a four right (laughs) and that's the logic that goes in uh tv shows and movies and just because there's one show that happens to show off the male characters abs more than the show off the female bodies doesn't suddenly mean that we've readdressed the balance it doesn't mean that this is anti-men it just means that for once you had to sit down and watch a show where you saw more of a naked dude than you did a naked woman. I appreciated this glimpse into Ollie's psyche where he was admitting <laughs> that um, Lois Griffin was a nine. Like this. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. Oh, yeah. This definitely. Well, she's a redhead. She's feisty. I get yeah. it. I, I just, yeah. I appreciate that. Like, that's the sexiness scale of Ollie Brady. <laughs> Lois Griffin all day, every day. Every day. No, no yeah. other cartoon ladies come close for you? Um, I kind of like Leela from Futurama. Sure. Mm. She's pretty butt kicking. I get it. Yeah. But, but she got that one eye. Oh, you're prejudiced I'm going on to the be one honest. eye, Ollie. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I have a lot of difficulty with aliens. Um, just for the sheer fact that they're not seeing me. But then it turns out that she's not actually an alien. She's, she's a mutant. mutant. And I'll be honest with you. That Spoiler brings her for back Futurama. up on that scale. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So I think we should probably at this point uh, talk a bit about the end and then uh, move into some of the other thing, the other yeah. uh, segments. Absolutely. Since, uh, we have yeah. deviated from the timeline <laughs> fairly <Yeah>. significantly, <laughs> but I, I hope it's been entertaining. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's, I think it's fun to be just in terms of timing and all of that to probably move forward. So we end with basically, so Nimue agrees to give herself up to Uther and as well as the sword in exchange for the Fae being basically given boats out of Britain. And, uh, you know, so that happens, but then she basically tells Morgana to take the sword and take off. And then Uther's mad and he's debating about whether to hand her over to the paladins. And uh, basically all hell breaks loose. Meanwhile, the paladins have killed Gawain and given it to her, which gives her a good boost to do some angry magic. Morgana's the widow now, so that's fun. And then also the weeping monk, because he feels bad about Squirrel, who is a child, much like himself, I guess, being about to be killed. He just switches sides and is now yeah. a good guy in like a very half-assed redemption arc. Uh-huh. So that was that was a very eleventh hour thing. <laughs> where it was yep. like through like nine and a half episodes, he did not care, and then in the last like fifteen minutes, I guess this is where we're at. Right. So he kills a bunch of the papal guards. Uh, Nimue kills Cardin. And so then we have uh, Nimue and uh, Morgana and Merlin are all running off and they're on this bridge and that's where Iris kills Nimue. What do you think? Does 
There's we just think. a couple of things before that. Uh, the the killing of Carden, number one, she cuts his head off. Yes, yeah, that was good. pretty brutal. I was surprised. No, no Carden in season two, so we don't have to sit and think, oh, are they going to bring him back? No, he's dead. Yeah. So obviously, it's a the, nice, the papal, clear death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the representative from the Pope is going to be the bad guy. Well, or Iris, season, I'm assuming. Mm. Uh, well, Iris as well, but I think you know that guy who showed oh, up um, with the golden Wh- face warriors. Wicklow. Wicklow, yeah, I think he's going to be the main bad guy, whatever. Yeah. Which is good, you know. He he seems like a zealot as well. But in the scene leading up to Cardin getting beheaded, Nimue goes in and has a sword fight with a random paladin with three hundred paladins standing around watching. Right. She nearly loses the fight, but ends up winning. Then Cardin comes out to talk to her, which ends up with him getting beheaded. Which good. But all the other paladins just stand around and watch. Yeah, that, that's right? what I like to refer to as the Steven Seagal um, method <laughs> of fighting. It's like, if you watch Steven Seagal movies, which I do because I love that kind of stuff. But um, mm-hmm. if you watch those movies, as he gets older and heavier, he's less adapt at moving around. So people only attack him one at a time, very slowly. <laughs> like nobody thinks of swarming him. It's just one, okay, you're dispatched. Two, okay, you're dispatched. Like that's very much what it seems to be. It's like, okay, we can't deal with a free-for-all. Let's just have everybody else stand by in awe. Right. I was just gonna say, like, and then they all just like when he kills when she kills Cardin, they're all just like, yeah, we're done here. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. They're just we're done, right? Um, just I was gonna say, have you seen Exit Wounds, Jillian? I the one with DMX? Actually, that's on my okay. list though. <laughs> this is that is just in the period after he'd started to get super doughy. Mm-hmm. So it's after Glimmerman. Yeah. And before that they really slowed down everything, right? But there's a bit in the middle of it where they do a little bit of wire work with him. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 48 49 year old steven seagal with a punch and he drops down lands on one hand does an upwards kick to a guy in the face and then comes back up into a karate stance oh no and dmx is in the movie with his 12 pack but he's like that's so impressive i can't believe you did that mm. and you're like yeah it was clearly wired. Like we, uh, nobody right. believes this happened. But anyway, sorry. Um, so what I'm getting at there is they all should have just ran in and killed her. Yeah. But they didn't, right? right? So and that's the, yeah, but they don't. And then Squirrel at the same time is giving a rah-rah chant to the right. Yeah, monk. And it's only because he goes, you can't do it, that, <laughs> that the weeping monk remembers, oh, right, I'm badass and is able to kill a bunch of the gold-faced Pope guards. Uh-huh. Oh, it's so bad. So, and then they're off doing their own thing, riding off into the distance. <sighs> and this is where we get the reveal. So Squirrel, uh... his real name is Percival, and the weeping monk is Lancelot. And I think I literally shrieked, you are have to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was saying about, like, all the names in the hat. They're just, like, pulling things out and attributing people to whoever they want them to be like that was so weird it's just such a weird choice like why would you do that about four episodes in when we're we're introduced to the red spear and i was saying to sarah do you know what the representing is this she's kind of like the queen of the stuff i think she could represent guinevere red spear guinevere this is how i think it's going to go all right and then sarah said something along the lines of and it wouldn't be so silly 
as to just have different people be different characters like that. Like they've already done it with Morgana. It's not going to happen, right? So right. it hasn't been revealed that she's Guinevere. I assumed it had that. For some reason, I thought that she'd met Arthur and said Guinevere uh-huh. instead of Red Spear, but she says Red Spear. But you could have given me 50 options as to who the monk was actually meant to be. <laughs> yeah, and, and that would, would not have been have it. Said, I, if you'd have said Mordred, I'd have been like, yeah, that makes sense because he's the bad guy. Does, why, why do we have this turn around? And Squirrel as Percival what? is so ridiculous that, I mean, unless we are going to have a 15-year time jump, I don't understand how Percival, again, fitting within Arturian legend, he's young and naive, but he's not 10. Well, and that's right. revealed earlier. Like, the, the Lancelot thing was at the very end, but um, the Gowan, the Green Knight, called him Percival earlier. So that wasn't... Oh, yeah. that's right. That yeah, wasn't even that a was thing, earlier. really. I was just like, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the the Lancelot reveal, I was not here for. I mean, because I also like, I'm not here for that redemption arc because it's just like so out of nowhere. And it's also like, we've just been watching this guy brutally murdering people. Uh And the fact that he's like racially aligned with them means that like, oh, okay, now we're supposed to like think that he's fine. Like, it's just such a weird thing. Also, Jillian, Uh What is Lancelot most famous for doing in Arturian legend? Um, well, wasn't he the one who took uh, Guinevere from Arthur? Yeah. That was my understanding from, you know, reading things and also watching the movie First Night like, yeah. <laughs> years and years ago. Right, that's the so point Lancelot's of Lancelot. entire place is the Great Betrayal. How is it a Great Betrayal if you already are distrustful of him in the first yeah. place. Like, the whole point is that Lancelot is meant to come in, be the hero, be the perfect boy, be the quarterback on the high school football team, but he's your best mate. And then one day you don't show up to school and he steals a girl. That's Lancelot. Yeah. It's not, oh, uh, he's been my antagonist the entire time. He's evil. He's totally evil. No, he's a good guy now. Oh, no, he slept. Well, had back. Arthur encountered... Like, oh, no, he did. I For a second, I was like, did they even encounter each other? But they did at the... In the grand silo. Yeah. yeah, he's a, and yeah, um, he's the one that uh, he shot the arrow at Arthur, that Arthur dodged. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no, Arthur... Well, you know, it, according to all the things I understand, Lancelot to be sort of a fuckboy. So, I, you know, I, but I he guess... But he doesn't sort of seem like a fuckboy. Like, this man has never had sex. <laughs> He just listened to very sad loot music. Yes, like you've introduced a Lancelot that, like, this Lancelot aggressively does not fuck. Yeah. Do you know how you know he doesn't have sex? He's got those constant tears. Oh. Oh, He's an insult. (laughs) I didn't laugh at that, actually. That's a very bad thing. It's true. But when we get to the end, uh, so the the true ending, um, other than like Iris getting stuff, is they're all running off to escape. Um, Nimue is with Arthur and Morgana, who is now Merlin good. and Morgana. Merlin, sorry, Merlin and Morgana, and she's good now. And they're fighting off people on a small bridge, yeah. and then Iris shows up shoots an arrow at them that goes past. Nimue turns around and stands and looks at her, despite the fact that she's got all of this magic in her. Yep. And just stands there and takes 
arrows to the chest Boromir style. Seriously, <laughs> use your magic Just, sword. Yeah, you, you're a magician here. Turn uh, her right? into a tree. So she falls off into the water, which brings us back to our original scene, the very start of the show. Drops the sword, picked up by Merlin, who then suddenly goes, like, just to use a, an anime reference, like Super Saiyan Dragon Ball Z style. Right, he's, he's like, like electrified, yeah. He's electrified, and then just reaches it up to the air, and then himself and Morgana teleport. Right! And then, like, what happened? And then, like, Iris just is like, uh, he just, like, leaves her there and is like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Whatever. Do your thing. <laughs> like, it's why doesn't he kill so... her? I would he, kill her. He tries to hit her with I'm going to kill her right now. Well, yeah. Day. Also, that was <laughs> his daughter. Like, she murdered yes. his daughter, which, like, he spent a lot of the show trying to protect and, like, do deals with various um, sea goths and princes and stuff to protect her. And then she's murdered, and he doesn't really seem to have a reaction to it. Like, it was so odd. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Also, I guess we did forget to mention that, like, oh, meanwhile, like, the Vikings show up. Like, there's the rival Vikings, and the Vikings under Cumber the Ice King show up and are going to try and kill all the Fae because they've made a deal with the Red Paladins. I think so. And then Arthur and the other chunk of Vikings fight them off. It's just, uh, Vikings are there um, just for eye candy and possibly Guinevere. Uh-huh. Um, I still think that's Guinevere. Um, I think... Otherwise, there's no reason for her to be there. Like, it... Yeah. She she has that meaning with Arthur at the end where it's like mutual respect. Um, yeah. And obviously, Nimue is now dead, so Arthur's love for Nimue is gone. So, so. spoiler from things I read on the internet, my understanding is that in the original source material, she is supposed to be ah. Guinevere. Uh, that makes sense. So uh, it's... Oh, sorry. Did I just say it makes sense? Sorry, that makes no sense, but I understand. <laughs> <laughs> You're not I surprised. object to this turn of events, but sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I'm on board with it, but like, all right, whatever. It's not the worst like reveal that would happen in this show. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one. That's it, not it, a high it, bar to clear, though. Like, hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Sarah, can we move on to the next section? Yes, we can. I just can't wait to sing because now it's very it falls. God damn! I never get any better. Um, what did they get right and what did they get wrong, Sarah? So, there's like a lot happening. I'm not going to get into all of the departures from traditional Arthurian legend. I will, however, note that Gawain is supposed to fight the Green Knight and not be the Green Knight, which is a choice. But the thing that I would say I found most frustrating in terms of things that they did not do super well is that the timeline is just like an absolute mess. Because so if there were a historical King Arthur, right, that would have been like late 5th, early 6th century, But then there's all of this stuff that belongs much later. So first of all, the architecture, most of it's like 15th century, like the nunner, the convent, the convent architecture is very clearly 15th century. Like it, it fits, it does not, it does not belong. But then there's also at some point, Rugen mentions Charlemagne, who was active circa 800 as somebody who has died. Never, never existed. That is a ridiculous theory that will not be countenanced on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 
have you heard about this, Jillian? The phantom time theory, I think it's called, that like Charlemagne wasn't real. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I am not. I, it's funny. I, I worked in academic publishing for like 10 years, but like a lot of that had to do with just like skimming things. I didn't read. <laughs> I mean, this I'm not sure you would find in academic publishing because I don't think any real academics have actually signed on to this because it's ridiculous and makes no sense. So all for those of you who, who don't know anything about it, the most powerful figures in the 800s um, get together and decide that they're going to transpose the world to the year 1000 so that they can exist in the year 1000. And then invent in, a bunch of people from the last 200 and the, years. And then they invented 200 years of history. <laughs> and it is insane. <laughs> and it also especially does not, in addition to being insane, even for Western Europe, it's also like creepily weirdly Western centric in that like, how did they reconcile that with the fact that like this clearly didn't happen in the Islamic world, which is better documented in this period as well. Like, are they claiming that like they like teamed up to do this? Cause that sure doesn't seem likely. Or do they just like not care that Muslims exist? That seems more likely in terms of this theory. <laughs> anyway. It's just, it's just one of those ridiculous things, which when you're reading it, you're like, Oh, this is vaguely interesting. I- I've read a book about it and it was, it, it's it is legitimately interesting, but at the same time, you're going, this guy has doctor in front of his name, <laughs> which means that he has at least gone to the trouble of getting a PhD. Sure, in something. In history, and still. Are you sure it's in history? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, it's definitely not physics, <laughs> because he wouldn't have even thought about doing this. But anyway, Sarah, Charlemagne is mentioned, yeah, as we so know, Charlemagne didn't is, exist. Charlemagne is mentioned as somebody who's long dead. And so it's like, okay, so Arthur's like in fire in 500, but this person who was around in 800 is dead already. All right, that makes sense. And then there's the Vikings who first started raiding England in the late 8th century. So in like, I think it's 793 maybe is the first Viking raid on England. And that's contemporary with this. And also this guy Cumber keeps saying, I'm the rightful heir to the throne. And the period where you have Vikings claiming this, uh, these like semi-valid, making these kind of semi-valid claims of kingship in England, that's the 11th century. And so it's just this like very muddled timeline. Yeah, it just seems like they were like, this happened in olden times and we're just going to jam everything we want in. (laughs) Right. It's like the Middle Ages. It was all the same at every, like it all just happened at at the exact same time. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Like it's definitely one of those pieces of media. Which is, which I find frustrating. The like pretend, the like pretends that like nothing changed over a period of a millennium, and also like all of them happen, all, ever, all things happened at the exact same time. It is, it's just, a, it's such a weird mismatch of this is something that happened, here's something that happened, let's put in a reference. Boudicca was a real person, right? Let's just show her long dead. <laughs> Right. And that actually, that's the one timeline thing that I will say, like, okay, Boudicca died several centuries before Arthur. Fine. Fine. Makes sense. <laughs> but then Bruggen's also like, and when I remember back when I hung out with Charlemagne, and I'm like, I'm sorry, what you mean in the future? <laughs> and then it's like, the, like, no, Vikings, get, get out of here. Go back to Scandinavia where you belong. <laughs> Listen, we've been saying that in Ireland for several thousand years now. <laughs> Give us back our people. 
Yeah, and so it was just such a weird mess. The thing that I will say, there's one thing that I wanted to mention that I do think they do well, which is I appreciate the, um, the, way, the, the way women's monasticism is handled. First of all, it's made pretty clear that, so there is this possibility of essentially external male intervention on the part of Father Cardin and the Red Paladins. But for the most part, it seems pretty clear that in the day-to-day workings of the Abbey, it's really run by the abbess. And it is essentially Mm -hmm. like a female space and also therefore a female run and female led space. And I I do appreciate that they kind of make that clear. And also that I do want to note that we do have documentary evidence that heavily implies that there were definitely uh, lesbian nuns. Uh, Sarah, are you again claiming that The Little Hours is a documentary? (laughs) I was just Um, thinking of The Little Hours when you said that. (laughs) As we said on that episode, no, no, it's not. It's not a documentary and, and nor is this, trust me. But the fact that nuns, and for that matter, monks, are internally having relationships with one another in this, you know, relatively, like, confined space where everybody is supposed to be celibate, but, like, celibacy is hard, that, you know, the the nuns are having relationships with one another, you know, as our monks are having relationships one another and with one another, the... That happening among monks is better documented basically because most texts are written by men who seem in this period to have, it genuinely seems to often have not occurred to them that lesbians exist because how could women possibly have sex without a man involved? Makes sense. But we have bits here and there that do indicate that like this was something that happened in convents and it certainly makes a lot of sense that this is something that happened in convents there. There also is a fun theory, which I'm not quite sure I buy into, but it is fun, which is uh, so if you look at images of the side wound of Christ from the oh, 13th, stop, 14th Sarah, century, no. nope, we're going to do this. I know exactly where you're going with this. The side wound of Christ often looks rather vaginal and there has been some discussion of the implications of uh, the practice of uh, women kissing these rather vaginal looking images of the side wound of christ as a devotional practice and yes i'll i'll post a picture the uh, the theory is inter- the theory is interesting it uh there are people who are proponents of it and people who are not but some of these side wounds of Christ do look extremely vaginal. Not all of them, but some I, of them. I, I just appreciate that Gillian gave that theory the silence at the time. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'm here to learn. <laughs> Sarah has Sarah told me about this about two years ago. And she was like, look at this, Ollie. And she sent me a picture. And I mean, first of all, she sent me a picture of a vagina. <laughs> like that's what it was. It's not actually what it was. It was like it was close the up disembodied of side wound of Christ. <laughs> but I mean, in my head, I was there going, what, "Why are you sending me this? This is this is unacceptable behavior, Sarah Decker." Because and then, in particular, there's the weird choice that, like, the side wound that, like, they they change the orientation in a lot of these images. So, like, the side wound of Christ would, I mean, in terms of like like it would be normally like horizontal 
And in a number of these images, they change the orientation to make it vertical, which makes mm. it look way more like a vagina. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so now I have to see this picture. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, I will. I will send. I will send some uh, some classic vaginal side wounds of Christ. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, my afternoon is set, gang. Yes. <laughs> I do not subscribe to this. <laughs> does it hurt? It doesn't hurt your good Catholic sensibilities. No, I subscribe to Charlemagne didn't exist. Um, this is a much better theory much than Charlemagne not existing as the uh, the lesbian like behavior involved in devotion <laughs> to the side wound of Christ. Sarah, <clears throat> is there anything that's historically relevant in this movie? I know one thing that jumps straight out to me. Um, I'm assuming that's what you're going to talk about. But uh, what actually is Historia et Veritas? So this is a segment where we talk about a real historical event or phenomenon related to this. And for that, I want to talk about what are the antecedents of the Red Paladins. So first of all, the Red, pa- like the Red Paladins are clearly supposed to be the Inquisition in some capacity. And in particular, uh, I would say probably potentially most inspired by the Spanish Inquisition. So first, a couple of words about Inquisitions. The Inquisition in terms of like the church or papal Inquisition had been around, uh, uh, really kind of takes off in the 13th century as uh, and is primarily targeting Christian heretics. So in particular, like the Cathars based in southern France are like big targets of the papal Inquisition. We then kind of fast forward a couple centuries, and in the Iberian Peninsula in the year 1391, there are these uh, huge massacres of Jews, and as a result, there's also a bunch of Jews who, under duress, convert to Christianity. And a number of them are not necessarily super sincere about it, which makes sense because they didn't want to be Christian in the first place. And... In 1478, uh, so first of all, there's a a lot of change happening in the Iberian Peninsula because these two big separate kingdoms, Castile and Aragon, are now functionally at least semi-united because the the two rulers, Ferdinand of uh, Aragon and Isabella of Castile, have married each other. And they, in 1478, get permission from the Pope to establish their own inquisition, which is no longer under papal jurisdiction, it's under their royal jurisdiction and also which is primarily at this point at least concerned with basically all of these converts who are supposed to be christian and who are failing to be christian so it doesn't actually target jews it targets these converts uh so anyone who's a jew who is not converted you know you're not allowed to help the converts be jewish but otherwise, the Inquisition has no jurisdiction over you. They're not trying to convert people. They're just trying to essentially deal with, and deal with does mean often like attack these converts. Hmm. And would would they have um, would they have riled up the other um, good Christian folk to attack the Jews or to attack other people who weren't Christians? So uh, that's definitely not something that you're exactly seeing in the Inquisition. So it's like that. So there are these kind of massacres that happen. The Inquisition, that's not really what their point is. But on the other hand, because they're trying to root out secret, these kind of secret, uh, essentially Christian passing Jews, as you know, one might put it, 
they are essentially often encouraging people to inform on their neighbors. And this is definitely something that we do also, in addition to the kind of mass violence, we do also see a lot of hints of in the Red Paladins, these kind of, they actually talk about the, like, there are some fae who are able to pass and how you can tell that they're really fae. And it does very much kind of recall uh, this, like, rooting out of hidden, uh, of, like, hidden um, Jews who are, who are, you know, pretending to be Christians. Hmm. But... It is also, I think, interesting in that in addition to drawing on the realities of the Spanish Inquisition, the Red Paladins also draw on a lot of the imaginary and misconceptions about the Spanish Inquisition. That nobody One is that expected. They just... What? Sorry? That nobody expected. Sorry, I had to make a Monty <laughs> right? Python joke in there. Like, it was just, it was yelling out to me. So please continue after my stupid joke. I think you actually could, I actually would argue that nobody expected the Spanish Inquisition and that the Jews, with the exception of this moment in 1391, I would say often kind of felt relatively secure. It's also a Jew, they were actually Jews who helped like fund and promote this marriage, thinking that it would be good for the Jews. They were super wrong because they founded the Inquisition and then like uh, 15 years after that, 14 years after that, expelled them from Spain. So it was not, in fact, a good idea, but they were under the impression that it might be. So I think you could, in we've, fact, argue that nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. We've all made those mistakes. You, know, <laughs> where you think something's good for you, and then you end up getting expelled from Spain. Listen, it's happened to us all. Yeah, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But yeah, so I think you could argue that nobody expected the Spanish Inquisition. But the other thing is that I am try. I've been trying to figure out, and I actually wonder if the, the Monty Python sketch might actually be the origin of the perception that Inquisitors wore red robes. Hmm. Which there, I I spent a lot of time looking this up. There does not seem to be any evidence for it. Red robes are worn by cardinals, and there certainly oh. were cardinals who might be associated with the Inquisition. But many of the Inquisitors are uh, so. For example, they're Dominicans. Uh, so they're, you know, they're, com- they're coming from different monastic orders. And the Dominican Inquisitors, like, they just wear the robes of their order, which are black. I mean, how did the Dominicans get to Europe? <laughs> A little bit of geography humor there. <laughs> I mean, I assume the Dominican Republic is named after the Dominican order, which was probably oh, there yeah, the- being terrible. Um- <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what do you mean being terrible? Converting people to By force. the good word of Jesus. <laughs> By killing them. Yeah. Um- or suggesting that they might kill them. I, I don't. I don't love the Dominicans. Um, anyway, I, used, I so, used to work in a Dominican school. I also do not love the Dominicans. <laughs> but yeah, so the Dominicans are very heavily involved in the Inquisition, and so a lot of the Inquisitors like they're wearing black robes because they're Dominicans. And the red robes thing is especially kind of weird because yellow and red are then the colors of the robes that the Inquisitors would make penitents wear. Huh. So that's interesting. And the other thing that I wanted to note is specifically how the weeping monk fits into this as this person who's really fey, but is now on the other side of the people trying to destroy the fey. And it interestingly recalls that there is this very long history of uh, converts from Judaism to Christianity, in particular, essentially skilled male converts, although in this regard, usually skilled in like, they know things about Judaism, they have kind of access to Jewish texts, they're very highly educated, 
that there's this long history of those figures then essentially becoming leaders in anti-Jewish first uh, preaching and eventually in the Inquisition as well. So this is, as I said, a long history. Uh, one earlier example is in the uh, the Disputation of Barcelona in 1263. There is this guy who, it's fun, he literally, when he became Christian, he just named himself Paul the Christian. <laughs> like his, his name is just Paul Christian. It's Pau Christia is the Catalan. Chance the rapper um, Paul the Christian. I know, right? It's like, it's like, wow, that was, that was creative, buddy. Good job. <laughs> Paul Christian, everybody. Big stretch. But he was the Christian representative in this debate that basically the Jews were forced to participate in about whether Christianity or Judaism was right. That Jews never want to participate in because it's kind of lose-lose for Jews. Because if you win, you're going to get in trouble for blasphemy. And if you lose, then it makes, you know, then it might kind of further encourage conversions. So there's really no good outcome and Jews only are participating in it because they're forced to. But the church thinks it's a great idea. Hmm. And then when you actually talk about the Spanish Inquisition, the first Grand Inquisitor, uh, the, named by Ferdinand and Isabella, a man named Tomás de Torquemada, he's actually of converso background. So he actually comes from a, uh, a family that was Jewish that was forcibly converted to Christianity. Ah. And when he changed his name he changed it to lancelot obviously yes as you do <laughs> oh, let's not perpetuate that horrible timeline and he also had this weird tattoo with so that everybody knew he was jewish you know <laughs> as, as you do jews all have those weird tattoos oh before uh before we go into the next section um i have a, a small confession to make about this when we were watching this um and the first of the inquisiting style uh fanatics came in and Sarah was like, oh, look at these guys in their red cloaks. Can't, can't guess what this is based on. And um, <laughs> my first instinct was, yeah, just a complete rip off of the white cloaks from Wheel of Time. <laughs> um, and I had already started typing it out to Sarah, like, oh, it's just based on the white cloaks. And I was like, no, oh yeah, no, the Spanish Inquisition was a thing. At the leap, that's what she doesn't think of an idiot. Right. I Wheel mean, of time, I mean, though. They're, like, just, on that. they're just both takeoffs of the Inquisition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the Wheel of Time does it so much better. Oh, yeah, right? absolutely. But also, but... if we're going with red cloaks, what about the Imperial Guard from Star Wars? They had red oh, cloaks. Oh, yeah. Didn't they? I mean, yeah. I'm, a, I'm from they a Star Wars so household. Cool. <laughs> they look so cool up until the point they get taken apart by Kylo and his woman. <laughs> Don't don't get me started on the Kylo Ren Ray situation. Yeah, I can't. Don't even start. Um, But yeah, so the the Red Paladins are this very like Inquisition inspired. I would say in some ways, especially Spanish Inquisition inspired group. Um, uh, Although kind of shades, I would say, of the Papal Inquisition too, because it is the Papal Inquisition that's more involved in these essentially kind of militaristic efforts against the Cathar heretics. So they're, uh, they're kind of, I would say, in some ways, like a blend of inquisitorial forces uh, throughout the history, which is in keeping with this show, which thinks that everything in the Middle Ages took place at the same time. It also has all inquisitions uh, bundled up together. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think we can now move to the next section. Uh, Ali, I know you have to take off in a few minutes. So would you like to, to introduce us to... Sweet. So... 
Fabula Nostra. Uh, so in this section, we get to talk about what we would do if we were going to write a story based on this show, right? So Cursed is a female-centered version of the Arthurian legend, right? So I'm going to use this. Uh, I've only got a few minutes before I have to run. I'm going to use this to beat the same drum that I've always beaten, right? Which is that after watching Merlin, the only thing I wanted to have happen was for Morgana to win. Yes. Right? Because in the BBC show Merlin, Morgana is the best character. Most of her chemistry comes with Guinevere. Yes. And obviously Morgana joining together to form a perfect union of co-queens is what I always wanted. Now, bearing in mind that our Morgana in Cursed is a lesbian and the red spear has uh i'm going to be a little bit stereotypical here a lesbian haircut <laughs> let's assume that she also <laughs> I, I got permission from sarah to so right, also to be fair i did actually describe it as a lesbian haircut because i am a bi woman did. i can definitely you know identify my own haircut as being a lesbian haircut so because of this i feel like we are now closer than ever to having my vision realized so morgana Arthur's sister is going to turn, I'm going to say evil, but I've put my inverted commas up here because from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. (laughs) (laughs) Then you are truly lost. (laughs) I am truly lost. So um, from my point of view, Morgana is not evil. She's just working on an opposite side to Arthur. And the Red Spear and her are going to meet. They're going to fall in love because let's face it, Celia is dead. So like we, that's we need not going to ever that. happen for you, Morgana. And they're two really attractive people and they're going to meet each other and be like, oh my God. And they're like, oh my God. And then they're going to fall in love and they're going to confuse all of those uh, inquisitors who are going to be like, two women? How, how would that even work? So in my version of Cursed Season 2, it's going to be Morgana and the Red Spear, who's going to turn out to be Guinevere, falling in love. They're the ones who are going to do the great betrayal because nobody's going to trust Lancelot. Also, no one is fucking Lancelot. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just not here for like this Lancelot does not fuck. No. Listen, he's very moody and a lot of women like that. But the Aww. important thing is that these two are going to form a union and become the power couple in this world right so they're going to overthrow uther they're going to uh at some point it's going to be revealed that arthur is the one and true king and then they're just going to kill him right so i'm, I'm, I'm all for major characters uh Gillian, i don't know if you've ever heard my views on what should have happened in harry potter which is that he's standing on the bridge at the end and he's going to break the, break the other one and then somebody should have just walked up and shanked him <laughs> boom done harry potter's out of the universe Shove the body off. Keep the elder wand. Ron, Hermione, no. Cook. You're just going to look straight at, at Ron and just go, what are you going to do about it? The answer is nothing, Ron. You're not going to do anything, Ron. You're just going to stand there and watch. I just, I just killed your friend. You're going to look at Hermione and go, come on, Hermione. You're with me now. And she's going to be like, oh, I respect the power. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. Um, oh, I think Hermione's the one who shanks him. <laughs> Hermione probably could shank him. Hermione is I would, like, I, would I go put for up that. with your shit for seven books. I am you... so fucking done. <laughs> you were the worst. By the way, Dumbledore, not that good of a teacher. Pretty bad principal. 
Let's just face it. Yeah. Right? Oh, for sure. I don't know None why you're going. You're okay. worshipping this dude. But anyway, we're getting away from this, right? <laughs> so Morgana, Guinevere, totally going to form a union, power couple. And in my version of Curse, the TV show, the entire second season is them getting justice for Nimue, who should never have been killed. They're going to flay. That's right. Flay Iris. Okay. Um, because she needs it. Possibly even just roast her feet whatever it happens to be as long as she experiences a lot of pain because i hate that character we're in martyr territory now this is creepy i'm up to then see the icon of iris carrying her own flayed skin like saint bartholomew (laughs) which is a real thing so good to me this sounds awesome we're gonna add this in iris gets to carry her own flayed skin just like saint bartholomew (laughs) that i knew about in advance so in this version of story the two women form this union become the power in the thing and they lead to 500 years of prosperity in England in fact they stopped the Vikings from invading and we have a golden age the dark ages never existed it's all golden ages I know the dark ages Sarah also never existed. doesn't think the dark ages never existed <laughs> but one thing I will say is that they do instigate um prima nocta no. but it's only for the lady in the castle <laughs> who gets to go and spend a first night with the, the newly married wife just so that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I just wanted to get in a jive and fight. Oh, I'm, I'm shaking Octa my head, which, I can't, cannot, which the listeners cannot tell. I can't hear uh, Prima Nocta now without thinking of Michael Scott shouting it. Like, I just... <laughs> yeah, oh, God. I, oh, it's, that's... I, I, okay, so I'm, I'm behind Ollie's vision here for yes. part of this so oh. um <laughs> also i would like to comment that prima nocta is a myth sarah keeps but, saying yeah, it's, it's, we know it's real anyway as we, as we know it to be from braveheart or wherever it originated in our modern pop culture it's creepy and let's just from, ignore from history yeah. so it's from history from the it's early modern period where they made it up so i i'm into the whole like the men on the show are boring. So as I said before, oh, yeah. like Morgana, I I love her. She's the best part of the show for me. I I'm yeah. also Red Spear is pretty cool. I I think she has un, undeveloped potential, and I like yeah. Kaze. So like, I like the idea of the ladies just hitting the road and having adventures, and um yeah, them yeah. them sort of like reshaping the kingdom in their own vision because dick is abundant and low value and these ladies know what they're doing so right like i said just be there as man candy yeah i just you know every so often you can have a a hot guy show up and you know just sort of stand to the side like that was something that i liked about um mad max fury road (laughs) is Mm -hmm. that like max was there but everybody knew furiosa knew what was up and just Mm -hmm. sort of like let that happen so i would yeah. love some sort of like um like i said birds of prey or gossip yeah. sirens or like some furiosa lady squad Definitely. with the three of them for sure if there if there are other cool characters like i really i really did appreciate that there were actors of color in this show yeah um just because this period of history can be so whitewashed or, oh yes <laughs> i know it's not really a period of history as we talked about it's a weird amalgam of everything but I appreciate yeah, the, the the Middle Ages. Yeah, exactly. that's definitely something that so, I talked about on the podcast before. Is that the is that you know it's been kind of claimed in some ways by OG Nazis and neo Nazis. Yeah, 
as this like idyllic period of a uh, like exclusive whiteness, which it wasn't. So. so yeah, could 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 we could we do something where where they're sort of like Nazis weren't a thing then, but like <laughs> like old timey Nazi hunters <laughs> just like going through uh, the I'd be the happy to see them like hunting down the paladins. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's just let's substitute yeah. paladins for Nazis and just yeah, have them have them do. That's what I always wanted to happen in um, the X Men reboot when they showed mm. Magneto hunting the Nazis. Like I wanted an entire movie of that. Oh so yeah, definitely. I I want the ladies to just be like kicking butt, taking names. Maybe they're maybe they're a lesbian couple. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Maybe they're a thruple. I I I I'm not interested in the sexual politics per se of this mm-hmm. idea. But like, I I think just showing them being bold and empowered. It's just yeah. that's something that I want out of this show. So second yeah. season. That's that's what I would like to see. I yeah. totally misinterpreted this question. I thought you were looking for like a recommendation oh. of another another pop culture thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I feel like that's that's where I, where I landed after watching the show. Yeah, I think that would be fun. I I went in this like very divergent direction, which is I really like these the idea of these more female centered Arthurian adaptations. But I feel like one of the challenges inherent in them is that everybody's always like, but where's Arthur? Mm-hmm. And Arthur in this is like, he's a minor character. I mean, he's, I mean, he's like this like ex- male accessory slash love interest. Like mm-hmm. he, his contribution to the plot is actually much less than a number of the women. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the things that's a little frustrating is that despite that, there's still so much conversation around Arthur and the place of Arthur in this. So I actually would love to see something where it's just in the future and Arthur is dead already. Mm -hmm. And I would be, I would really love to have some kind of adaptation, which is a, a woman who's descended from Arthur and is supposed to kind of like take up his, like, you know, she like pulls Excalibur out of the sword anew and is supposed to take up his legacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, then like a lot of the movies, like a meta com or the series is like a meta commentary on the fact that like the Arthurian legacy and the figure of Arthur is so hard to escape, but that ultimately like, does he really matter that much? Mm-hmm. And uh, that this is like her journey to like establish herself as this figure who is separate from Arthur and is going to create her own legacy uh, mm-hmm. without him, despite the fact that it also is to some extent dependent on him. Mm-hmm. No, I like that idea. I think that's a that's a good use of Arthur. I was like, if <laughs> if I had to squeeze him into my idea, it would be like <laughs> in a Charlie's Angels kind of way where right. he was. Would... <laughs> <laughs> just be sort of in the background, right. oddly style, and then they would be doing more awesome things without him. Because, like, yeah, I think I think at this point Arthur can just be used more as a symbol of something. He doesn't need to be Arthur physically present, leading the charge. Right, and that even could be interesting if you have a bit where it turns out Arthur's the rightful king, and so say Arthur's king, but then like you see him like once a season, basically. Mm-hmm. And really, it's just, like, the women are, like, essentially doing their own thing, like, semi-ostensibly reporting to him, but not really. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be fun. <laughs> but, yeah, because it it is, you know, Arthurian adaptations, I think, to some extent, like, there are just, there are too many. Oh, yeah. Um, And it's hard to actually do something that's that new. I think this does something 
new, but I think it's only varyingly successful in some ways at doing that in ways that are interesting as opposed to doing that in ways that are like, I am doing something weird for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. I, I will say just to throw in, because I originally thought um, we needed a recommendation here. Um, <laughs> I, I've been reading the comic Once in Future mm. by Kieran Gillen, uh, Dan Mora, and Tamara Bonvillan. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of the uh, Arthurian legend brought into more modern context oh, huh. where it turns out this, this guy, Duncan, his grandmother, um, whose name is Brigitte, um, it turns out that she was a monster hunter and is related uh-huh. to all of these Arthurian legend things. Oh, so cool. I have only read the first arc. It's six issues. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of an an interesting way to see some of that mythology pulled into a more modern setting. And if you're into comics, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I would definitely check that out. All right. Maybe you can you can come back and guest on it on the podcast. Oh, I, will. I definitely uh, would. Yeah, I because would uh, we, are, we are at least open to doing books. I just don't do them that often because it takes more time to read them and because I'm bad at taking notes when I read. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would definitely come back for that. So awesome. I see here that we that you normally do uh, a rating. So wait, yes. Ollie's not here. Do you need me to sing something? No, uh, I, I, won't, I, won't, I don't make other people sing. So okay. this is the, uh, the estimatio section. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe like introduce a little like music or something here. Okay. Uh, so this is the estimatio section where we rate this piece of media on a scale from one to five, one being the lowest. I consider these ratings to be extremely subjective. Mine usually are based on a combination of historical accuracy, how much I like something and whether it seems like it hates women, which mm-hmm. this doesn't. So it gets points for that at least. <laughs> so what would you give this? Uh, well, if we're going like out of five, I'd probably land a solid 2.5. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it has potential and I would be interested in seeing if they did do a second season where they went yeah. with it because I felt like there was a lot of um, plot filler in the first season. I think that's unfortunately yeah. a, a byproduct of the Netflix model is that they'll mm-hmm. decide on the number of episodes before they write the show, it feels like. Yeah. So then they decide, oh, it's 10 episodes. We have plot for six, but you know we'll make it 10. Um, which is something that I remember experiencing with the first season of Luke Cage, which I really, I really liked. And then they killed one of the villains like midway through the season. I'm like, why are we still going? Like, <laughs> so um, I, I feel, I feel like two, 2.5, like I gave it points for um, the depictions of strong women. I really yeah, appreciated absolutely. that. Um, I appreciated the uh, people of color showing up on the show. Mm-hmm. That was good. Um, and yeah, I feel like it has the potential to go somewhere interesting. Uh, once it sheds yeah. some of the world building, it felt like it needed to do the first season. So yeah. I'd say it's a solid like C plus for me, but <laughs> right. I, I wouldn't go any farther than that. I, I, I feel like there were the weaknesses like were pretty weak yeah. for me. So that's just, yeah, I felt like it dragged towards the end and, and people yeah. like, motivations changed and things didn't make sense so yeah that's probably where I'd be 2.5 out of 5 how about you 
Yeah, I was I was kind of going back and forth between a 2.5 and a 3. I don't know, maybe I'll say like a 2.75. Uh, <laughs> We're getting real fractional for you. I folks. know, right? Uh, because I, I do want to give it points for the fact that both uh, it's uh, a story so centered on women that it really is not male gazy. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate that it has a diverse cast. I mean, I... I mean, I complain constantly about Game of Thrones that they're like, well, you can suspend your disbelief about ice demons, but not about, like, a black person. Okay. <laughs> sure. Which is more rare in Game of Thrones. Right. <laughs> so I really appreciate that aspect. I, I really appreciate those aspects of it. And I genuinely had a lot of fun watching this. And I will say I definitely enjoyed it. On the other hand, it, there's a lot of bits that feel like it's like, edgy for the sake of being edgy which is very frank miller mm-hmm. and not the best part of his work yeah no the, and... the love scene i found particularly distracting when there was like a weird modern pop song it was very oh my god that music it was also very... the lyrics are i could be your king, king. Oh, and i was no. like i am not here for this the, yeah no the conception of it was very like the OC, I know you said you haven't watched the OC, but like, um, anytime they'd have like a, a, a an emotional moment in the OC, right. it would basically be this montage to whatever like Emma yeah. Jean Heap pop song thing they could squeeze in, and it it very much it, that felt out of place for me in the show. Yeah, and I yeah the like evanescency music yeah. was also like not not great. <sighs> Um, but yes, as I said, a lot of edgy for the sake of being edgy and a lot of things that really felt like they were twists for the sake of having twists, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, with the biggest thing being really like, I don't see what the point is of like doing the Lancelot reveal. Like, why can't he be his own? Like, even if you have the redemption arc, uh, you know, why can't he be his own thing? There are other people who don't have obvious Arthurian parallels. Mm -hmm. Of like Iris has nothing like why so like I don't think it's a problem in an Arthurian adaptation that you do have some characters who are new and I wish that they just done that and not kind of forced this parallel that I can't quite see what they're going to do with it and how it's going to be helpful um between these characters totally agree yeah yeah so yeah so I'll I'm gonna go I'll go (laughs) (laughs) 2.75 A little higher than me, so. Right, really, <laughs> yeah, uh, really getting down to the decibels. So as we finish up, uh, Jillian, are there places where the listeners could find you on the internet if they so desired? Oh, well, um, I, I have a limited internet presence because I currently do not have a podcast, although okay. I am thinking of doing one. Um, yeah, if you if you are interested in anything I have to say or getting a glimpse into my little life in Toronto, um, I am on Instagram at a kind of gentle hunger and you can follow me there and see what I'm up to. So, yeah. Cool. And uh, uh, so, and also, since Ollie had to leave early, I'll just put in a very self-serving plug for him, which is that if you are new to the podcast and enjoyed listening to him, you can go back and listen to the some older episodes of the podcast because he was the co-host for the first, uh, I don't know, dozen or so episodes. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review Media Evil on Apple Podcasts, and I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join our Facebook group. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Ifdecker. 
And finally, if you have any questions or suggestions, I would love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. So Jillian, thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I really had a lot of fun. I hope my um, weird tangents didn't derail us too much, but no, I, I, I had a great time. <laughs> I'm, all for, I'm all for tangents. This is a pro-tangent podcast. <laughs> so thank you. And thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Bye. I could be your king, I could be your